What's up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. It's a podcast where two good friends, best friends you might say, mm-hmm. talk about all the things that you're hyped about. And these days that's King in Black and Nomon by Nick Harkaway as we reach mm-hmm. the end. This is part two of what's this going to be? Four parts of both of these happening together. For me, I think it's going to be like three and a half parts because the fourth one I, I really suspect it's going to be like one issue or two issues <laughs> of King and Black within the whole TP. Okay. But we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Okay. I mean, one of them's Avengers Return of the Phoenix. And as we found out last week, Phoenix is not involved with King and Black, which yeah. I totally thought was going to happen. So, yeah. I, I, it, might end up, it might end up as three for me. When I was uploading the last episode, I thought briefly of saying like part one of blank mm-hmm. and then i was just like no let's not <laughs> let's not limit <laughs> ourselves here let's not <laughs> let's let's yeah, not yeah. Uh, <laughs> heard that man so anyway i'm one of your hosts steve storman in brooklyn new york joining me from santa barbara california via the miracles of modern technology it's my good buddy will freeland will what is up dude i am chilling i am i'm good Good. Uh, my body is sore. I did my first ever workout stream on Twitch yesterday. You are a special kind of masochist. It's, <laughs> it was it was awesome. I it was okay. I was scared that people were gonna go crazy. Yeah. And it started out crazy, but it yeah. petered out okay. okay. So like it ended up being a really good like 22 minute workout. Okay. Is this because Amir was there? Is that is that why it was crazy? Amir, so Amir popped in for the first yeah. time and he had me create a channel for redemption specifically for him. With that. <laughs> <laughs> and so he threw in lunges. And I would expect anyone that's listening to overlap with knowing who my good buddy Amir is, but he locally is known for having probably the most intense lunges. <laughs> of anyone I've ever been taught lunges from before. There's your typical lunge where you just drive your foot out, whatever. Some coaches have you do like lunges on your toes. Some coaches have you drive your knee to make sure you get like good stretch on the way up as as on mm. the way, way down. Okay. Other coaches have you focus on your hands. So you have your hands over your head or on your hips instead mm. to try to keep your balance on your core instead mm. of like trying to use your arms. Okay. A mirror has you do all of the above. <laughs> Amir lunges are insane. Like Amir lunges, how do I, how can I easily put this? We had off-season track for the people who wanted to stay in shape but didn't want to do other sports because track is a, a spring mm-hmm. sport. This is back in high school, yeah. Back in high school, yeah. So in off-season track, we are doing harder workouts than you would during season because you have time to recover before your next track meet because there are none. Mm -hmm. The punishment for those workouts were Amir lunges. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, and there's like this whole 
like cross country has this thing about like for uh, against like other sports of like your punishment is my warm up because it's like their warm is like a three mile run because cross country is ridiculous mm-hmm. lunges like tri- w- that mentality for cross country to other sports is the <laughs> mentality that off season track had towards cross country. <laughs> And then you have one level above that for mirror lunges. It they're just, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah. So Amir came in, and he was the last of my five groomsmen to come into my Twitch, and so that's that was a milestone for me. Yeah. It was my first workout stream, which was super fun. And what I mean by workout stream is I have cheap channel point redemptions for workouts and Mm -hmm. for like five push-ups five squats 30 second plank that kind of stuff and so anyone who's watching can redeem those channel points and basically dictate what my workout is going to be yeah and it it has the potential to be real rough because i don't put (laughs) limits on anything (laughs) i've got people in there with 10 20 and 30 thousand channel points when the redemptions are 400 points <laughs> well i remember when you know just on your first stream where we're all trying to make you drink as much water as possible so you'd pee your pants on yeah. stream that was exactly yeah that was great thank you <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> so, so there's potential for some serious hurt but it worked out perfectly and i can't wait to do more and now my body is just is i'm just i'm sore because i spent November and December wrapping presents instead of working out. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is fun to get back into. Good, good. Glad to hear it. That's that's my life. That's my story. I have been <laughs> significantly more sedentary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's been occupying my attention, obsession, et cetera, et cetera, is Vintage Cube Magic yeah, you've Gathering been playing online. A lot. I've been playing a lot. And for anybody who doesn't know, so we we love Magic the Gathering. That's pretty well established on this podcast already. Vintage Cube is, the, in my opinion, the best way to play. You take all of the most broken, most powerful, fun cards that have ever been printed and throw them all together to draft. And you can just do wild stuff. You know, turn one wins or not out of the question. And it's just different every time. It presents really difficult, interesting puzzles constantly. And I love being forced to think on my feet in that way. And when it comes together and it works out, it's very, very fun. So, yeah, been really, really enjoying that. Awesome. Yeah. The other thing that's that's up with me is I finally got a permanent crown put on a tooth that I broke the very first weekend of the pandemic. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a real milestone <laughs> of motivation and depression and, you know, like just being like, I don't want to go to a dentist when yeah. there's, you know, it just like sit somewhere indoors with my mouth wide open for, you know, an hour while there's a raging pandemic going on. That seems like Maybe not always the best idea, but, mm-hmm. you know, through fits and starts and finally found a dentist that worked for me and got all of the work completely finished. Took about six or seven trips all told. Maybe not quite wow. that much, but there was a lot. And Damn, dude, that's crazy. It's 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 all done. And well, the work is done. It feels really good to finish something that's just been hanging over my head that long. For sure. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Welcome back to having a head full of 
full, full teeth, full, full, fully toothed head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, we teased man. it earlier, but yeah, should we get into some some comics? We've got we've got some King and Black here. What, we've what got are some you? King and Black side stories. And as we say over and over again, the main the main story is the action blockbuster. The side stories are where you get your your cool character moments, insights, the things that really flesh out the the world around the the explosions and the big yes. laser, you know, the blue laser versus red laser fights, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was fun. So this week I'm covering the Black Spine books, okay. which are King and Black colon, colon this title. Yes. Versus next week we're going to be going over the solo type solo and team titles colon King and Black. Right. They're white borders. But yeah. it, is, it is what it is. Anyway, so yes. seven books, not uh, I'm 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 planning on just kind of skimming over the takeaways for each one, unless you have some more detailed questions. Sure. But so these seven are Atlantis Attacks, Avengers, Gwenum versus Carnage, Namor, Planet of the Symbiotes, Return of the Valkyries, and Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. The the one sentence breakdown of King and Black for those who don't remember from last episode and aren't binging like Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> King of Black, King of Black refers, refers to Null. He is the god of the symbiotes. He's the first living being in our universe. He created the symbiotes. He created the Necrosword. He has killed Celestials. Fun fact, actually, that gets covered in one of these titles. But side note, so Celestials were born right after the Big Bang. And so Null's first villains, quote-unquote, antagonists, were Celestials. And... The first celestial he killed, he killed by removing his head. And that head is where he created the Necrosword and the symbiotes. He used it as a forge. And then when he left it, that head became Nowhere. Oh, cool. Of Guardians fame. Yeah, Nowhere with a K from yeah. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, most famously. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of the coolest settings in the Marvel Universe. In it really opinion. is. Yeah. Also... That was the first death of this universe. Oh, fun. Other so, fun fact. So Thanos may have invented murder on Titan. Yeah. But Null invented murder for the entire universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I it makes me wonder if they're ever going to explore the connection between Null and death. Hmm. He, yeah, kind of like birthed death. Right? Like, yeah. Noel is kind of death's dad to a degree. Yeah, yeah. You so raise like, a good point. Right? But, like, that's some cosmic shit. And I wonder if they're going to keep that for later. Okay, okay, okay. The, the, the car ride in Spider-Man Homecoming between mm. Peter and, and the Vulture... Mm-hmm. But it's Thanos and Null. <laughs> <laughs> right? And Null's just like, listen. <laughs> I, I need to know your intentions with my daughter. <laughs> Thanos just... Uh, <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Oh wow. That's amazing. Thank Christmas. Thanos is currently dead. <laughs> because he for sure would have had a crossover with Null and been like, hey. <laughs> Man, that's wild. Dude, I it's funny because I only just now thought of this whole connection between him and death. And yeah. I kind of needed want it. Cause yeah. like that was the whole crux of how they won Realm of the Kings. Is because death in the cancerverse died. Yeah. And so nothing died anymore. And then they brought Thanos over, and the Revengers there killed Thanos, and he's like congratulations you just introduced death back into this into this plant into this universe <laughs> and his death shows up and gets rid of and and like gets rid of the revengers and because mm. they died m- multiple times already mm-hmm. like so like that concept of introducing death or causing death to show yeah. is not unfamiliar with the cosmic universe mm-hmm. but the only time current Null, and as far as King and Black is concerned, the only time Null's cross paths with cosmic stuff is that one shot with, in or that one appearance, guest appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy when it was just one of his Grindel dragons. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> oh, man. Oh, put a pin in that. We need put to a pin, yeah. uh, we keep an eye out for that. That sounds like something from, that's going to happen it's got. It's gonna happen. It's good. That conversation I mean, has to happen. I, is Null doesn't seem like he's ever coming back though. No, but now that we have a new King in Black in mm. Venom, I sure. wonder if that whole the whole fucking inheriting somebody's title and then having to deal with their <laughs> legacy thing. The that exact might be the a thing. thing that you were complaining about. What two yep. two episodes yep. ago? Yep. No, it was last episode. I don't know. Yeah, and so and and of all people to introduce the fact that that was the first death, this was Jason Aaron's run in Return of the Valkyries. So he thinks about these things. I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see if it uh, shows up again. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so let's just let's let's dive in. Yes. So we got Atlantis Attacks. Atlantis Attacks is five issues by Greg Pak, which depresses me because I like Greg Pak because I really liked his run on Incredible Hulk. Right. With Amadeus Cho and, and yeah, yeah. stuff. And War of the Hulks and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, not a great side story. That's also, it bad. has nothing to do with King and Black. <laughs> there No symbiotes show up okay. in all five issues. Okay. And it's literally just, quote unquote, just. So we have the, the current Agents of Atlas. Right. Led by Amadeus Cho and Silk and other Pan-Asian uh, mm-hmm. heroes. Pan-Asian-American, yeah. So you've got like Wave, Shang-Chi's there. You've got Arrow and Swordmaster. And Your favorites. My favorites. I, you, you've, you've, you, you've done a terrible thing by making me very invested in these characters. <laughs> well, they, I mean... Marvel's clearly they're putting, not going anywhere. <laughs> Marvel's clearly putting some uh, some investment in them, yeah. trying to make it tr- really trying to make fetch happen here. They really are, and so the crux behind the story that they've been involved in is we have that that city that trans world city called Pan, and it has a bunch of gates that are kind of like Krakoan gates that are connected to different countries all around the world. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind it is to 
basically be a tourist attraction for people to get away from Genosha or travel from South Korea to the Philippines for a day kind of a thing. Sure. And in order to do that, you have to have a pan pass, which is this little, basically like Avengers identity card. And uh, that's what lets you access through the gates. We found out that the pan pass uses magical dragon scales to identify the users and to power the gates. That dragon was a sacred dragon to Atlantis, and that's why Atlantis is pissed. Okay. Yeah, so Namor and the Atlanteans want to attack Pan. That's what Atlantis attacks is. Nothing really to write home about. Yeah, it's just not... It's not... uh, The original Agents of Atlas show up, so you have, like... Okay. The uh, Neptunian... Oh, Uranian, right. Venus and, and Gorilla Man. Gorilla Man, which is who is an agent of Wakanda, so I don't know why he's here. Yeah. Nimora, who is uh, Namor's cousin. Yeah. Real original name there. <laughs> and uh, so you have a team up with them, and it all revolves around basically, they're like, okay, so Pan has this dragon, and Lannis is pissed. Let's free the dragon, try to replicate the scales scientifically so we don't have to lose Pan. In order to release the dragon, they do because science and comics, the sirenas that Wave dealt with in her origin one-off story, who she saved, and now they're like they owe her like a, a warrior's oath. They show up to help fight back the Atlanteans and Namor, and then uh, you have the Atlantean version of the story of the Sirenas, and you have the Sirenas version of the story with Atlanteans and, you know, histories of bloodshed, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Bunch of BS. It basically ends with Wave saving Atlantis from a Sirenas attack. So now Atlantis recognizes Wave and they celebrate Wave. Namor accepts Wave. As a hero, the dragon is saved. Collectively, the new agents and the old agents and the Atlanteans stop a tidal wave from happening to save Pan. Everyone is happy. And I'm sorry, there is one page with dragons because they figured that out. The Jimmy Woo working for a dragon gets out and they're like, oh, hey, look, other dragons have showed up. (laughs) Hey, new agents Let's go fight these dragons. So the last page <laughs> is them going and fighting dragons to save the world. Because remember that King of Black enveloped the world in a, right. a black symbiote goo. Yes. And the so sim- this, the dragons are made of symbiote are, goo. So there are probably dragons raining down from everywhere. Dragons in the are entire. everywhere. And so yeah. it's easy to write in a story where you're fighting dragons, but <laughs> they decided... To do this Atlantean thing. Anyway, (laughs) it says at the end, it's like, now it's time to help a king fight the king in black. And then it says, next king in black, Namor. And so you would expect to see Agents of Atlas showing up in the Namor Mm -hmm. side story, but you don't. So anyway, it's not not great. It's nothing really, nothing major happened. Except for the fact that Wave is recognized as by the Atlanteans. So like, if she wanted to, I think she could try to overthrow Namor. I don't think she wants to, but there mm. is the option there. Well, okay. King and Black Avengers 
is I think it's six single issues of King and Black Black Panther, King and Black Captain America, King and Black Ghost Rider, King and Black Immortal Hulk, King and Black Iron Man, Doctor Doom, and King and Black Wiccan and Hulkling. Hulkling. King and Black Black Panther is them dealing with the symbiote goo in Conda. And they do things that I don't think should ever happen. Or oh. I don't, okay, I, sorry. Uh, let me take that back. They do okay. things that don't make sense in the grand scheme of the story of King and Black. And what I mean by that is they're doing their best to protect Wakanda. Shuri pulls out this crazy tech that basically makes copies of her. Like they have these like, Sort of basically LMDs, Wakandan LMDs. Yeah. And she's controlled, but they're all puppets. They're not AIs. She controls them. So she has to go into like a control center and do that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Okoye goes and unleashes this thing powered by, I guess it's more vibranium Wakandan tech, but she it creates this giant pink panther monster thing that helps them fight one of the dragons okay it's kind of cool but what bothers me is t'challa's secret weapon is to get ulysses claws sound gun dish thing and then use vibranium to amplify it and shoot a giant sound blast because remember symbiotes are weak to sound and fire even though we also established in King and Black that they're not they're necessarily not. too weak to it anymore, but they are weak to magic and electricity. That man beyond these stuff, yeah. But he shoots this giant freaking blast, sound blast. It wipes the symbiote goo off of all the Wakandans that got infected, blah, 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 blah. But it also shoots a giant hole in the symbiote around the world above Wakanda. Seems like a thing other people would have noticed and potentially taken advantage of. Yeah, this never shows up. Like, <laughs> if that was how Silver Surfer got in. Oh, that would have been. That would have made more sense. But, like, they don't use this. This mm. never, this accomplishment, this is a giant accomplishment, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. never shows up in King and Black. But, you know, whatever. Whatever. And then King and Black Captain America is cap feeling like he's a little in over his head because these are some space god shits yeah. he's teamed up with bucky and sam i don't know it's basically like a soul searching story for cap and what the shield means and yada yada yeah yeah and then it's just, it's like it's like the issue is mostly internal dialogue them saving a few civilians and then cap being like i gotta get back in the fight and so he goes back because mm -hmm. he's a player in the main book. Right. Then you've got Ghost Rider. Last time we saw Ghost Rider, he had freed Mephisto from the jail at Hotel Inferno in Las Vegas. He has him chained up and he is still going around trying to get all the demons who escaped hell back into hell. Yeah. He sees that there are these symbiote dragons. And so he has a chained up Mephisto behind him and he's trying to fight these dragons. Danny Ketch shows up and right now, remember, he is now the chosen for Belasco. Bla not Belasco. Yeah, Belasco. Mm -hmm. Yes. He has teamed up with the that redhead support girl. I forget what the, her title is for Ghost Riders. 
Oh, I, I guess I wouldn't know. I forget what she's called. It's it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But she, he teamed up with her and Blackheart. Blackheart is the son of Mephisto. Okay. I think she's like caretaker or something. Anyway. Okay. And they show up to help Johnny. And they're basically telling Johnny, in order for you to get what you want done, you need to let Mephisto go. Hmm. Let him take the seat back from hell because he, because they know about, Oh God, what is her name? Morgan or whatever her name is. Lilith. Lilith's plan to take over hell. And so Johnny is fighting wars on multiple fronts at this point. He's trying to fight the symbiotes. He's trying to get all the demons back in hell. And he's trying to keep the throne from Lilith. And they're like, Johnny, listen, you're trying to do too much. Mephisto has been doing this for eons. Mm-hmm. Like, give him the seat back and go be Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And it basically ends with him letting Mephisto go. And Mephisto's like, oh, well, so um, as a thank you for uh, saving me, I'm just going to gather up all the symbiotes that were just here. And um, I'll just take this little black <laughs> ball of goo away for you. And I'll see you later. Yeah. Blackheart goes with him to hell. And then Danny and Johnny and Caretaker go and fight more symbiotes. And then we have epilogue with Blackheart and Mephisto. And Blackheart's like, Dad, do you want me to go and destroy the symbiote like you said you were going to? He's like, hell no, (laughs) we're keeping that for a rainy day. (laughs) It basically ends with Mephisto back on the throne. And he has a symbiote to use later should he want to. Okay. So... Yeah, Mephisto's back. <laughs> Mephisto's back. It's been a been a big workaround, but yeah, cool. Yeah, Immortal Hulk was a textless issue, and it was basically last time we covered Immortal Hulk, which was accurate is <sighs> accurate for this is we only have Child Hulk and Mister Fix It mm. left as far as personalities in the okay. body. Yeah, and Child Hulk is going around and trying to live. And then we have symbiotes showing up and him trying to fight the symbiotes and then him looking for, he saw a present on the ground because it's Christmas time right now. Mm-hmm. So he got super happy. So he wanted to hang out and open up a present. Yeah. Then symbiotes show up and then police show up and then symbiotes show up. And then you have Mr. Fixit trying to deal with this giant symbiote goo showing up, fix it, getting them out and then switching back with, with Child Hulk to go play in a Play Store and a Toy Store. <laughs> okay. It was fun. It was, it's all just like visual stuff. Mm-hmm. Iron Man, Dr. Doom. Okay. This one, <sighs> odd. Okay. So, Iron Man, Dr. Doom. So, again, this is happening during like winter, Christmas time. You have Iron Man with his symbiote Iron Man suit and you have Dr. Doom. And they're like, hey, we need to deal with these symbiotes and then who shows up but a symbiote infested santa claus (laughs) what (laughs) okay okay. we have talked about we have talked about santa santa actually just came up in my uh my reading of going back to some 90s x-men yeah 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 so, <laughs> so we have a symbiote invested Santa and all of his reindeer are invested. And this is actual, this is like quote unquote canon 616 Santa Claus. He's, yes. He is flying in the air right here. 
Well, let me give you an actual picture of Santa. Here we go. <laughs> what, are the, what are these horns? Oh no, that's just energy shooting out of his eyes. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just it's just energy to show that he's possessed, kind of thing. Amazing. And it all it's all like peppered with conversation between Iron Man and and Doom talking about wait, I thought he wasn't real. No, I guess he is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, that, yeah. the other. It's basically their fight trying to save Santa Claus and they destroy Santa possessed Santa only talks in Christmas carols turned symbiote in the (laughs) (laughs) he says he says violent he says violent night no moonlight throws a bomb and then says all is null all is blight like (laughs) so ridiculous yeah, and then he does this giant explosion to get away from Doom and Iron Man, and as he's flying away, he says, "Jingle kill!" Like this is a weird Santa to the point where I'm like, I don't think this is. Ugh. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> the the only other quote I'm going to give you about Santa is he says, "Experience my pain, dear," instead of my <laughs> ring, dear. Anyway. <laughs> Iron Man, with his control, his extremist-controlled symbiote, goes and takes over the symbiote on the sleigh, gets rid of it, saves Santa to a degree, and then they have a little. Sorry, they they ground him, and then they have a little one-on-one battle, two-on-one, I guess. Santa is saved, and he gets up, and he's like, "Oh, Tony, always such a good boy," and Victor, one of the naughtiest to have ever lived. <laughs> And it ends with they all they all part this several ways. Santa says thanks, blah blah blah. And Doom is sitting there thinking about the existence of Santa Claus, and he's like, uh, something perplexes me. This guy they found his license fell out of his pocket, and this guy's name was Michael Dunwoody. Uh-huh. And he says something perplexes me. Michael Dunwoody referred to both of us by our real names. And Tony's like, neither of us have a secret identity. But in tandem, he so arrogantly quantified the sum moral value of our respective deeds. Also not hard. But if you want me to believe he's Santa, that's okay. Preposterous. I'm merely <laughs> conducting an intellectual investigation of what just occurred. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay, because Santa is out of the realm of possibility in a world currently overrun by sentient black goo. <laughs> right. Simply an extraterrestrial presence. Don't let go of all the magic in the world, Victor. And Victor sits there and he's like, could Claus be a sorcerer supreme? And then that's how the issue ends. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, 616 has established that he is literally the most powerful mutant from one sentence, basically. Like every appearance that he's had, there have been random claims to how insanely powerful this man is. <laughs> but like, <laughs> if he were a mutant, and then now he's also Sorcerer Supreme, a Sorcerer Supreme. It's just, what do else you, can Santa do? <laughs> do, you, do you have time for a quick tangent here? Yes. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about Santa Claus and the character of Santa Claus in Marvel 616. I recently had a Twitter, Twitter interaction with somebody online. Some, somebody was asking which non-Marvel characters can lift Thor's hammer. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And my immediate reaction was, well, it would be, I mean, Homestar Runner is worthy, but he doesn't have arms. (laughs) But Uh somebody on the thread 
brought up Jesus. And I was like, you know, let me check the wiki here. Sure enough. Check the wiki. Jesus is a character Jesus in 616. Yes. So you want to know some random Jesus 616 facts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> okay. Number one. The star of Bethlehem that mm-hmm. led the the Magi, the three wise men, to him at the time of his birth, et cetera, et cetera. That was actually Asgard falling during a cycle of Ragnarok. Wow. Okay. And in a sort of like vision quest, Thor witnessed the whole thing and witnessed the birth of Christ. Okay. In in a in a vision of the past. Two interesting. Apparently, the Magi, the three wise wise men, were in fact aliens who followed it throughout the universe as it appeared before important events. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. These are from two decades apart stories, so I I don't think that they, (laughs) you know, actually correspond with each other in any way. They are are canon adjacent. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Number three, and this one just kills me. This is an actual sentence from the Marvel fandom wiki. Dr. Doom was revealed to have splinters of Jesus's cross in his armor, just in case he'd run into Dracula one day. Yes, I did know that. (laughs) (laughs) What a bonkers sentence. Yeah. Yeah, Just saying that out loud cr- kind of gives of me a stroke. In his armor. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's just like, oh, just in case you run into Dracula. Oh, wait, Dracula is also a character. Dracula is sense. a character. I didn't know it was specifically a Dracula thing. I thought it was just a quote unquote, just a holy dark arts type thing. Uh huh. But yeah, <laughs> yes, that is a thing. Oh, that is horrible. a thing. But like, it's one of those things where, like, if you if you think about quote unquote reality in in that world, and he he's going through all the stories he's been through where he has pieces of the cross in his armor, <laughs> how has that not come up more? Like you like right. people should be stumbling across these right. wooden pieces. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, watch out, bro! I got some Jesus power in here. Right? That's so, like, also, like, why doesn't he use that more? Like, I get why he doesn't use it more. Right. Yeah, there are very good reasons. (laughs) Dude, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, Marvel. So bonkers. This is why Dr. Doom is the best. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, this is why Doom is the best and and, and not Jesus. No, because, (laughs) because Doom is bonkers. And he actually thinks of these things. Oh, man. <sighs> anyway, that was a fun tangent. Thank you for reminding me about <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> the King and Black Hulk and Wiccan or Hulkling and Wiccan story is the two of them got married during Empire. They never got to have a honeymoon. So they went on a honeymoon on this like secluded beach in the Shi'ar where the, that, Shi- that Shi'ar vacation world that Scott asked to have Kirk and Gate on. Sure. It was like a super random tangent between him and Gladiator. Uh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. On that vacation world, they go there as a present from the Shi'ar, mm-hmm. like a wedding present, and they fight a dragon there, and that's it. All right. 
Gwenom and Carnage, King of Black. This is Gwenom, Gwenom versus Carnage, one through three, and then King of Black Scream and King of Black Spider-Man. So again, driving home how much of a character Venom has become on his own. <laughs> that the series that he comes from, technically Secret Wars, but the series that he comes from, Spider-Man, only gets one issue, and he's <laughs> not even involved. It is not yeah, even yeah. like a main fight. Uh-huh. So Gwenom versus Carnage. Basically, Gwen from Earth-65, she is attending ESU on that otherworldly scholarship, Tony Stark scholarship. When things go down, in Earth-65, Miles Warren, who is the jackal from (laughs) Earth-616, has kidnapped Mary Jane from from 65. Mm -hmm. In Earth-65... The big female side characters from Peter Parker's world and 616 are all members of a band. It's uh, Gloria, shoot, a fourth person who I don't remember and don't care about anymore. <laughs> Gwen is the drummer. Okay. And Mary Jane is the singer. Okay. And that's their like whole thing. Anyway, Miles has a piece of Gwen's synthetic symbiote, Goo. Except they're like spiders. And so anyway, he drops them onto Mary Jane to try to summon Gwen because he knows Gwen is back on 616. It opens up a portal. And instead of Gwen showing up there, Mary Jane gets sucked into 616. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And all when while that is happening, Gwen on 616 starts fighting symbiotes because symbiotes show up. Sounds like a story with a tremendously healthy amount of comics bullshit. <laughs> right? <laughs> So Gwen's symbiote is synthetic and it's it's more it's represented by spiders, but it's like it's a menu, it's a built symbiote and it's from a different universe. It's just that universe's story of how they got symbiotes. Yeah. So Noel notices the presence of a symbiote that's not part of his hive. And so he's interested and he's like, he's kind of reaching out to the symbiotes around it to be able to try to get in t- touch with Gwen and be like, what the fuck is this? Who are you? What's going on here? While he's doing that and having this conversation with Gwen, Gwen's like, fuck off of me. Mary Jane shows up mm-hmm. and Gwen's like, what the hell are you doing here? She's like, I don't know. And then a, <laughs> and then a symbiote grabs Mary Jane and Noel's like, oh, I'll use you. And so gives her a semi-carnage symbiote. Huh. And that's what this title is referring to of Gwenum versus Carnage. And so I thought by looking at the cover, because I see this redheaded carnage, I thought it was going to be 616 Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. But it is 65 Mary Jane fighting. No, you got to protect your, yeah. Yeah. So so the two of them fight. But then at the same time, you also have Gwen fighting Noel, like mentally. and, And it ends with nobody dying because comics. The visuals are kind of fun. And this is kind of just the visuals of her of Gwen of Ghost Spider's comic, but like it's very like kind of neon. Cool. And yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm into that color scheme. It's different. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely unique. Yeah. And then so yeah, it ends with defeating the Carnage symbiote, Gwen opening up the portal to get back to her dimension to take Mary Jane back as they get back. Mary Jane opens her eyes and one of her eyes is that little like null swirl. So she still has something in her and then it says the end. Huh. Whatever. 
We get one issue of Scream. Scream is one of the five symbiotes that was created by the Life Foundation as cloned from Carnage. Yep. You have Lasher, Phage, Riot, Agony, and Scream. And Scream currently is bonded with Andy Benton. Andy Benton was a student in Chicago when Flash... Thompson had this had the Venom symbiote. He she became Mania when she, when he shared sort of the symbiote with her. Mm-hmm. So now she has a story, and now she's involved. And then she also got a Hell Mark, right? And so she has some Hellfire that she has semi control over, and she has okay. now she has the Scream symbiote. So she's using the Scream symbiote to go and try to be a, a superhero. Her issue is her fighting Demo Goblin. In absolute carnage, two years ago, Shriek sacrificed herself so Carnage could summon Demo Goblin. And <laughs> Wait, Demo those Goblin, are two different creatures, uh, different characters. Yes. Oh, so, God. Oh, so Shriek okay. was the screamer girl. That no, I is mean de- obsessed dem- with Carnage. Demi Goblin or Demi Goblin and Demo Goblin. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, yeah. Yes, in the sense that so Demo Goblin was a summoned demon, and Shriek offered her life to summon Demo Goblin again, right. and Demo Goblin took over Shriek's body, and so it's Demo Goblin, but a girl now. Sure. And so it's Demo Goblin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Demo Goblin is kidnapping children to sacrifice to Null slash Carnage. Scream story revolves around fighting her. Noel shows up. Noel, so this is what I'm starting to not like about <laughs> this storyline. Okay. Is that because Noel doesn't have any like named lieutenants or a team or anything. Mm. And so if they want to raise the stakes in these side stories, they it have to bring to in Noel. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like him as a character. Why is he even giving the time to these random characters on the Mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. I understand that him coming to New York and him living his entire existence, (laughs) having control of all symbiotes. And then you have, you have ghost spider show up and it's a new symbiote. So that might be worth five minutes of your time. Sure. Right. But like scream, I guess because Scream isn't part of the hive mind and has been fighting the hive mind, he's like trying to bring her back in. But like conceptually, she's small pickings. Yeah. And obviously, Scream isn't going to be able to fight Null. Like there's, <laughs> she, but it is what it is. So anyway, basically, she gets out of her single issue because she uses her Hellfire to fight Null. And yeah, that's pretty much it so conceptually it is interesting to see a symbiote with hellfire and so i hope they keep going with this sure but i imagine at some point there's gonna be a come up in like some canceling of the other out like if yeah. they if they get their weakness to fire back then that seems like a pretty, pretty <laughs> way to- <laughs> yeah exactly and then the issue of spider-man is him blaming himself for all this happening because he brought the symbiote to earth in the first place but whatever yeah and then him coming across reptile Mm. and for those who don't know reptile is this guy who has the ability to basically anamorph into different dinosaurs yes my (laughs) (laughs) reptile is it's spelled r-e-p-t-i-l right 
Yes. So my first thought, I, I, I had to make sure you weren't talking about crocodile. <laughs> you know what crocodile is? I do not know crocodile. <laughs> it's this basically this drug, this uh, like injectable drug that's apparently it might be a media hoax or it might have some actual level of popularity in like Russia and other former Soviet bloc countries. But it, it it's like a, a narcotic that you can put together very easily from drugstore ingredients. And it like causes almost instant necrosis of the fre- of the flesh like you just like oh. there's just like don't whatever you do don't google it like exposed bone like just Whoa. disgusting shit yeah interesting wow so, yeah rep- i'm glad they didn't rep- give that reptile not that crocodile name. yeah yeah not crocodile this is reptile okay his or he got introduced during avengers academy and the, and yes. the initiative and yes that kind, yes that yes era he looks up to Spider-Man like all young heroes do. Mm-hmm. And so he's very excited to get to team up with Spider-Man. So they have a little one-off. They're like, okay, this is when the symbiote celestials show up. Yeah. And Spider-Man's like, that is beyond what I can handle <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Reptile's just like, well, let's just let's go save the civilians that we can. And yeah. And Spidey's like, yeah, duh. What am, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time wallowing in my self-pity? Let's mm-hmm. go save people. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they get to a ship that's going to Staten Island. Why they're going to Staten Island is beyond me because Monsters. I don't think anyone, people don't, uh, do, do, like, I thought the whole island was monsters, but okay. apparently people still live there. I don't know. Okay. But that, so that ship is getting attacked by a dragon. And <laughs> sorry, just the the intense Werner Werner Herzog voice in me wants to say the two are not mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to fight this. So the dragons on this ship, and they're like, "Okay, let's let's figure this out." And Reptile goes and turns into the giant ass dinosaur from Jurassic World. Okay, the, the fake one, the water dinosaur. Oh. I don't know what it is like. Please, like a plesiosaurus. That's yeah. actually not a dinosaur, but sure, fine. In that era, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because he was like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like, there's no flying dinosaurs that can fight this thing. It's on a ship. I can't really do a T Rex. And Spidey's like, oh hey, what about this uh, fish dinosaur? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. And so he fights that one. They get away. Blah blah blah. So yeah, that was a fun little side book. Sweet. King and Black Namor, the only reason why it exists is to introduce these five chicks on the back cover. Okay. They are called the Swift Tide. Ooh, I feel like they messed up in this Hmm. because they have Namor. This is mainly backstory. It's not really a current thing. Hmm. Because remember we saw he went to go and recruit these like people at the bottom of the Mariana Trench to help him fight. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are those people. And so it's more time introducing how big of a deal they are as opposed to the actual Mm. conversation of him recruiting them for the fight. Because King of Black was just so spare. Like the the main event was just so like focused on moment to moment action. It was two two cells worth of him doing this. Yes, yeah. So the flashback is set... I guess during the 30s and okay. it shows a very young like teenage Namor and the reason why I don't like that is because he was adult and a king in World War II 
which is just 10 years later. Okay. Because he's Atlantean, so he doesn't really age. And But he specifically says, oh, yeah, that was 90 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he looks like a child. You know, this is a close-up of his face. Mm. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a full-on child. Yeah. And he's still just, quote-unquote, just a prince, blah, blah, blah. But it is whatever. So we have the Swift Tide. They are led by the Atlantean version of a Captain America type. Sure. They have a sorceress type. They okay. have basically your ranger type that uses like knives, but instead of knives, it's her nails and she likes to slit throats. Okay. You have your Hulk type, like She-Hulk type, I should say, big okay. green and very yeah. strong. Then okay. you have your monster type, which is the biggest of them. And she is giant and she's kind of rocky already. So anyway, you have this backstory where they are recruited. They 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 they're from an a a tribe that's not part of Atlantis and are known for their skills as being mercenaries and they will protect whoever needs protecting and so they get recruited to go and find the unforgotten stone which is basically just this black magic macguffin sure yeah yeah (laughs) and the reason why it's important is because you have this oil rig on the surface that is being run by Strucker is there and gosh. Okay. Let me get the actual people because <laughs> it's such a weird list of people there. Okay. So Strucker is there. Kravinoff is there. Oh, as in Craven. Yeah. As in Craven. So I assume it's his dad because he does yeah. that family does not have extended age. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I assume that's just the a name drop von strucker and then you also have uh, a madam mask type because she's wearing the golden mask there hmm. interesting yeah and then you have a fourth person that's a name drop but it's not that important it's just it's just the fact that it's placing them and they found that unforgotten stone they're trying to tap into the energies to bring about the third Reich or fourth Reich or whatever whatever <laughs> von strucker's goal is with hydra and all that right anyway so the swift tide and and namor and this fledgling sorceress girl and atuma young atuma Hmm. are teamed up to go and get this unforgotten stone unforgotten stone goes crazy but black cloud shows up and the swift tide gets engulfed in the black tide and though in the black smoke atuma and Doors, her name's like Dorma, I think. And okay. Atuma get out, but they get touched by the blackness. And I thought they were going to run with this. And right. like, this is where, and they can feel, they have an attachment to this black stuff and it's making them angry and it's, and it's like turning their emotions negative. And I thought they were going to use this as explaining how Namor has been so much of an asshole lately. <laughs> and this is how Atuma became so angry and bad, but it's oh, not. Right. But anyway, the Swift Tide survives, but they come out transformed and basically upped in power and they change their names to the Black Tide. Random stories here and there. Atuma gets his skull crown scroll helmet thing in this it's just like kind of an it's mainly an aside more than it is anything else 
And this is how we learn where Tuma gets so angry at, at Atlantis. And so it starts, you know, 90 years ago. Long story short, they push back the Black Tide and they have them trapped in this giant crystal casing. Okay. In the present against the King in Black, Namor goes back to the Mariana Trench to go and free two of them. He frees the sorceress and he frees the leader. And he's like, I need you guys to help me fight the King in Black. Okay. And at for the price of your freedom, basically. They're like, fine, but you're going to have to deal with us later. You know that, right? Because we are not good people. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll get there. And then yeah. it ends with revealing that two of them came back and released the other three and are now out and about in the wilderness. Cool. So Namor's going to have to deal with them. So we've oh, got and then some in, future storylines. Yeah, up. and in the yeah. climax of the of the past, it's they sucked out the darkness from Matuma and Dorma and, and Namor. And mm-hmm. so they don't have that darkness anymore, which I thought was going to be really nice and good for storytelling, but they don't have it, so... F me. (laughs) (laughs) Next up is Planet of the Symbiotes. Planet Symbiotes 1 through 3, King and and King of Black, Black Knight. Each issue of Planet of the Symbiotes is two halves, each telling a very short story. The first half is Scream, and she basically does more Scream stuff, but she fights the four other symbiotes from the from the Life Foundation, Riot, Mm -hmm. Agony, Lasher, and Phage. Okay. She beats them with her Hellfire. Um, and then you have the next issue is Ravencroft. Uh, the next half of the issue is Ravencroft. Do you remember the 21st night of September? But also, <laughs> thank you. Talking about the history of Ravencroft and the first cellmate of Ravencroft. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh. That's fine. It's. Yeah. <laughs> It was such an aside. Yeah. It was like it was a side story for Absolute Carnage, I think. But right. Cortland Cassidy is oh. the first quote unquote inmate of Ravencroft. And Ravencroft okay. was Cassidy's wife at the time. And so like that's how you have this like legacy of Cassidy for, for Cletus and Carnage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Noel shows up and Cortland's body is still at Ravencroft Institute. And Cletus is like, ah, this is, or not Cletus, Noel is like, ah, this is where I want to be. Mm-hmm. This is who I'm looking for. And they're like, yep. why do you, what do you care about Cortland Cassidy? Cortland is the world's first serial killer for reference. Great. Off to a great start. Yes. Yep. And Noel is like, oh, he was much more than that. In all my eons of existence, in all my countless travels, none spread more death and destruction, none spread more darkness in my name than he did. And now, after all these centuries, he will serve me once again in a new, greater capacity. So Noel gives him a new symbiote and reanimates Cortland. And so now he is this symbiote that's like, that's primarily purple and his name is plague okay plague exhales this black stuff that chokes you to death basically sure it's like a gaseous dust type thing sure yeah and then misty and Manwolf are are the chief and co-chief of security there they're trying to fight plague and plague's like no nah, i'm not dealing with you guys i'm i got brought back so i can avenge my bloodline because ed he killed Cletus in Absolute Carnage. And so he's like, I have to go kill Brock. I'm out. And then he like 
vashes away. <laughs> I mean, vash because it's like a flash slash teleport. We don't know how he got away. I don't know how he has his power, but he just disappears. Okay. And so now we have a new character named Plague, and it's Cortland Cassidy, the world's first serial killer. Also, you know, the great, 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 great granddad of Cletus Cassidy, Carnage. Probably only like two or three greats there. Maybe it's it's a few hundred years. Yeah. Issue number two is American Kaiju and Hornet. <laughs> I can't okay. believe they brought back American Kaiju. Yeah. American. Wait, no American. Ka- yes. Yes. It's coming back to me. American Kaiju is my favorite thing that I've ever heard of. American Kaiju was the American mil- U S military's attempt at recreating a super soldier serum. And so they have a super soldier serum, the lizard formula, some yes. other handfuls of things just like a giant like fear and loathing in las vegas-esque drug cocktail and they just yes. shove it in some bastard and they say here gamma be, radiation yeah pin particles yes they use everything that the superheroes have created and throw it into one cocktail yeah. and give it to a guy named todd ziller unbelievable <laughs> And we get we get American Godzilla. I mean, America Kaiju, American Kaiju. And Incredible. to top it off, he can only say USA when yes. he's in Godzilla form. I mean, Kaiju form. Oh, unbelievable! <laughs> oh, I love it so much. So, so American Kaiju is fighting some dragons, and then he gets hit up with an antidote and comes back down to Godzilla, and that's that. Next we next we have Hornet. Hornet, as far as origin is concerned, there was a storyline for Peter Parker Spider-Man called Identity Crisis, where he didn't want to be Spider-Man anymore, and he created four new hero personas for him for himself. He created Prodigy, Hornet, Ricochet, and Dusk. Right. Yeah. He has since given those costumes and names to four other people, and they've yeah. been passed down so on and so forth sure hornet was a tech-based hero Mm -hmm. so think beetle but a superhero except for when beetle is the superhero (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but uh important clarification yeah current hornet is hobie brown okay wait that name is familiar oh the prowler right 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 yeah Yeah. sorry (laughs) yeah so hobie brown is now hornet and it's him fighting some goose and and getting to his Hornet costume so he can go and join the fight. Okay. Uh, Planet Seabuilds issue three is Cloak and Dagger and Toxin. Cloak and Dagger, basically Cloak is connected to the Dark Force dimension and he has a giant cloak and he can teleport people and things into the Dark Force dimension. Yep. Dagger is just light-based powers. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like they are undercutting Dagger because... She has some, like healing thing yeah her life heals and stuff but like it's not connected to anything major like so not like the dark forest dimension yeah yeah tandy bone and ty johnson they are they got their powers because of some drug experiments they were down and out and so they got drugs tested on them and then they got these powers and like every 20 minutes somebody's like hey you guys are mutant are you guys mutants and like "Eh, i'm not sure and then like no no. and then like you know but i'm not sure and then like no (laughs) So Tandy just gets these light-based powers. Ty gets connected to the Dark Force dimension. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like it's not even. But anyway, during King and Black, Ty is feeling dark because everything is darkness. And he basically, he is as emo and 
dark and brooding as it gets. Yeah. Tandy is trying to be the light in his world. And it's just, they fought some symbiote people and that's it. Nothing right home about. Toxin. Carnage bonded with this police officer named Patrick Mulligan, who was in Venom Let There Be Carnage, interestingly enough. Mm. While he was bonded with him, he created a new symbiote, and that new symbiote bonds with Mulligan, and he becomes Toxin. Toxin, is his top half is red, and his bottom half is dark blue or black. Mulligan has since died, and Toxin is now bonded to this teenager named Bren Waters. Okay. Yeah. So he basically going around and fighting people he's he's fighting this brood alchemax brood monster thing (laughs) alchemax has this hired gun named guardsman he's the head of alchemax security and then we find out that guardsman is bren's dad and that's it okay so black knight i really feel like Black Knight is getting a spotlight because they added Dane Whitman to Eternals, and mm-hmm. he's, he's probably going to Play, be a played bigger by, character. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen Eternals, but do know yeah. that he's played by Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. I do know some things. <laughs> I do know Keep he's played by Kit Harrington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it, uh, there's nothing. G- I don't like Dane Whitman's character. Well, I guess he hasn't had someone write him well yet, but like mm. he's very much consumed by the darkness and bloodlust of the Ebony Blade. Okay. And all of his storylines that I've read, which haven't been many because he hasn't been active much in the last 20 years. Yeah. I come across him a lot in like, you know, my 80s and 90s X Men reread yeah. whenever they show up with the Avengers. And it's always like, what is this guy doing? Like, yeah, he's just he's he's like he's always consumed by his bloodlust, and he's like, oh, I can't be outside. I I, I don't want to do anything. Like, it's not fun. And he's also like a tech guy too. Like he sure. invented like flying. He called it the atomic steed or something. Oh yeah, so he it's him playing into his like knight motif exactly. And so I didn't know he. But made it's like that. a. a I but think he, he made a, it like a like a flying like a flying horse thing drone horse thing yeah yeah weird so what we know about the sword is it was created by Merlin back in the days of Camelot mm-hmm. and it's made from some like falling star meteor thing Merlin sees that it is possessed by darkness and so the story goes he goes and finds a knight worthy of quelling the darkness and being able to fight the darkness to wield the ebony blade. Okay. And and I only say that because that's what what has been established forever and that got flipped on its head in this issue. There is a reference to the so the black the ebony blade has a connection to symbiote Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get that in Symbiote Spider-Man slash King in Black because it says there's a there's a vision with Merlin and says there is echoes now echoes of be, of a bygone saga. There is a great evil abroad. The Ebony Blade may be one of the only weapons in existence that can defeat it. It is called Null. And when it says echoes of a bygone saga, there's a little asterisk editor's note and says, Seek ye symbiote Spider-Man King in Black to witness the thrilling tale out now. So we're going to cover that next week. 
Okay. Oh, the Ebony Blade is possessed by the spirit of the first Whitman to have the blade. And so he (laughs) acts as like the spiritual guide for Dane. Anyway, he fights a dragon because he's obsessed with medieval stuff. And so he goes and tries (laughs) to take out a dragon. And the dragon connects him to Null. And Null sees the blade. And he's like, oh, this is interesting. I like this. So now there's a psychic... There's a psychic conversation between him and Dane and Noel reads the history of the Ebony Blade. And he's like, oh, dude, you've got this all wrong. Merlin, Merlin. Oh, first of all, he called. They've established that Merlin is half demon um, in this. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. But they also say that. Yes, yes. And he sought a warrior pure to withstand his thirst, you idiot. I can taste what's in your soul better than you. Purity, please. Did you truly believe he struggled to find men of pure heart in Camelot? Ha, the damn place was crawling with them. No, the truth that when men of light held the blade, when kings and paladins took it up, its magic died. Merlin lied. Sir Percy was chosen for his weakness, an angry man, a depressive, a man beset by voices and vituperation. That's what Merlin needed. That's the legacy of your kin, boy. You've had it all wrong all this time. The ebony blade can only be wielded to its mightiest potential by those impure of heart. Well, that's a much more interesting story for Right. And it makes it so much it makes so much more sense to choose some random guy named Percy yeah. than <laughs> literally the entire Knights of the Round Table. <laughs> yeah. So that made it really a much more interesting story. Dane has a crossover with Swordsmaster and Arrow, because apparently he shows up in Korea <laughs> or Taiwan or somewhere. And they have a fight with a bunch of symbiotes and Dane now has a renewed sense of not chivalry, but knightdom <laughs> because these, these new heroes are basically inspiring him to be better than he is. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. but like all my life is a lie. And right. Arrow's like, yeah, but isn't that like, isn't that what we all have? Isn't, <laughs> sure. isn't it, isn't being a hero about doing what's right, even when everything right. is wrong. Yeah, it's a good point. And so Dane's like, oh my God, you're right. And so he kind of gets a power up where he looks like one of the old versions of Thor, where he gets like wings on his helmet and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a shadowy power up bestowed upon him by the Ebony Blade. And after the fight, he goes back to normal. So basically, he has a power up mode that we'll see him use down the line. Thunderbolts is going to be really quick, but Return <laughs> of the Valkyries was interesting. Okay. Return of the Valkyries. You can tell when something's going to be more interesting because it doesn't have a single issue on the back. Mm. It's it's Return of the Valkyries 1 through (laughs) 4. Sure. Basically, the main takeaways here are it starts with Jane being the Valkyrie for Sentry's soul because Sentry died in the first issue of King in Black. You mean Jane Foster. What did I say? You just said Jane. So I'm just clarifying. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, Jane Foster is the is the last Valkyrie. Yes. <laughs> Danny Moonstar. Just catching up from, because we talked a, a little bit about this last week, but. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so Jane Jane Foster has, <laughs> is the current, currently the only Valkyrie that lives. She has under yarn, which is the, which is the all weapon. Excellent. And she is going around. She's the only living Valkyrie because all the other Valkyries died in War of the Realms. They all died 
giving the heroes a chance to escape New York so they could regroup. Mm-hmm. So Jane is ushering Bob Reynolds' soul, which is Sentry, to the afterlife. And they have some conversations there. They are traveling in between the life and death in this, like, the in-between space. And they come across this giant thing. And this giant thing and darkness and shadows and blah, blah, blah is the body of the celestial that, that nowhere is from. And that body of the celestial. Okay. Yes. So because Noel forged the necro sword in the head of the, of the celestial using the energies of the celestial, yeah. the body is connected to the sword. Oh, and so okay. all of, <laughs> all of this, all of the people that the sword has killed are trapped inside, like their souls are trapped inside this giant body hmm. powering the sword. And okay. Noel doesn't know about this connection. And oh. if he were to find out, he'd be that much more powerful. Sure. So Jane is like, holy crap, we need to get this out of here. Right. We need to sever the connection between the celestial body and the sword. So that becomes her story. Okay. So in order to do this, she goes and recruits Hildegard. Mm-hmm. I want to say she is Volstag's wife, but she might just be another hero of Asgard. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure she is. Anyway, she recruits her and she recruits Danny Moonstar. And Danny's like, I don't have my Valkyrie powers anymore. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want? And, and, and she's like, absolutely. You were a Valkyrie once. We're going to a place that that only Valkyries have access to. Once you're there, I'm sure you'll get some of your powers back. She's like, yeah. Okay. Jane also goes to Valhalla to go and check with Brunhilde. Brunhilde was one, one of the first Valkyries, yep. and she is the Valkyrie that people think about when we think Marvel. Yeah, Valkyrie. yeah. Mm-hmm. She's blonde, and conceptually, she's kind of what. Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok was based off of mm-hmm. one of the originals, just legendary Valkyrie. She also died in Absolute Carnage or sorry, yeah. War of the Realms. Yeah. Anyway, so she's in Valhalla. So Jane goes and talks to her and asks what she should do, blah, 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 blah. They go to the Celestial's body and they fight it and this, that, and the other. Point is, they win, but they also introduce. This new Valkyrie who hasn't revealed her name. She is one of the original nine. Mm. Also, Brunhilde is one of the original nine. So she, old okay. war buddies. Sure, sure. Her soul has been stuck, trapped inside this celestial. When they break out the souls, she comes out and she wants to join the Valkyries. She is one of the originals. She, is, she was the most powerful of the nine. Okay. And the reason why they introduced her is because she looks like Tessa Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Excellent. So hey, Tessa Thompson's know. Valkyrie now has a 616 counterpart. Her name has not been revealed, but she was the the other side fact about her. One, she was the most powerful Valkyrie of the originals. And yep. also, she was the original wielder of Yarnborn. Mm-hmm. Yarnborn is the axe that Thor used when he was no longer worthy of being Thor when yep. Jane Foster was Thor. And when he had the axe, he had it enchanted in order to be able to kill Celestials. 
So Tessa Valkyrie shows up, gets her old axe, and it's more powerful than it was when she wielded it. So she's super excited. Sure. Okay. Nice. So anyway, so we've we've used King and Black to introduce like four new characters. At this I know, point. right? <laughs> Sorry, Good Lord. Uh, seven, eight new characters if you include <laughs> all the Black Tide, and just in the ones that we've been talking about. Yeah. 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 Then the last one is Thunderbolts. It's Thunderbolts one through three, and then Marauders, uh, King and Black. The Thunderbolts are recruited and paid for by Kingpin, Mayor Kingpin, Mayor Fisk, I should say. And they are tasked with basically doing your typical Suicide Squad type thing. They get some named villains and they get some Z-list villains that they can kill off throughout the issues. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And their goal is to go and try. There's a giant ball giant black goo ball on the top of Empire State Building. And that is what we are to believe where Noel is currently hiding. Okay. And Kingpin recruits the, the, the Thunderbolts to go and take that out. Whether or not they're successful, Kingpin doesn't care. It's just that there's optics that shows that the Thunderbolts either died on mission or (laughs) that they helped the heroes win the day. And so, you know, yeah 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 so their plan for blowing that up is to go and get the dead body of the sentry and blow it up because the the sentry's dead body still has a bunch of energy and so they they recruited star star is from she was introduced in captain marvel she was this reporter that had it out for carol and then Space Rock Cree shenanigans happens and she gets powers similar to no. She sorry, she got one of the infinity gems, infinity stones. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives her powers. Oh, okay. She either still has the stone or she lost it, but she still has powers. Doesn't really matter. Anyway, she's basically junior varsity Carol Danvers. Sure. Flies, energy, blasts super strength that kind of stuff yeah the your 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 standard superhero starter package you have all yeah. the powers and do all the things yeah. yeah because of who she is and the angst in her life she is a villain as opposed to a hero but she's dressed like a hero like she's all white and so red. the redemption arc is coming maybe they tried to do they tried to give her a redemption arc uh, well, she tried to have one in her one shot oh. and it didn't go well. And it just exacerbated her hate towards Carol. So she wants to be a bad guy. But oh, as cool. she was hanging out at the bar with no name to get recruited by Kingpin. So, oh, okay. So <laughs> you, 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 you're doing some things on purpose here. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the idea is to take Bob's body and shoot it with Star's Blast to explode his body to take out the giant ball of goo. I mean, it sounds like as good of a plan as anything else. Right? And even if they don't, Kingpin can spin it to, he created an opening for the heroes. Right. So that's the plan, you know, this, that, and the other thing. The people that survive are Taskmaster, Batrock the Leaper, (laughs) Star, Mr. Fear, this girl named Figment, she can create illusions. She's basically like Phantom X. She can create giant mass illusions. And <laughs> that's, I don't know where she's from, but that's her thing. Mr. Fear is a Daredevil villain. 
He's basically Scarecrow from Batman. Okay. He just does fear toxin type shit. Sure. He doesn't have any special abilities or anything like that. Like, sure. It's a fear toxin in a gun. <laughs> Great. Manbull, Grizzly, and Dr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde. Sure. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, yeah. Hyde specifically was on Luke Cage's Thunderbolts mm-hmm. back in the day. But it is what it is. Anyway, yeah. Kingpin expected them all to die. And he was going to be like, I brought in the Thunderbolts. They were they they died heroes, blah, blah, blah. And then it yeah. shows up and it's like, actually, what you saw was an illusion by Figment. We're here about money. And Kingpin's like, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have the money, I promise you, plus an extra $50,000 bonus to never see you again. And he's yeah. like, oh, no, no, no. We all know that the heroes are going to win. This was our payment for this week. We're here. <laughs> when they when the heroes win, we're going to show up next week, and we expect you to pay us again. Okay. And so that is the creation of the Thunderbolts. Interesting. Again, Thunderbolts are bad guys who right. are made to do good guy stuff. They keep choosing this name, even though we all know the, <laughs> the, the gist of it by this point. But yes. Yeah. Oh, so uh, so they actually talked about that. Fisk says he chose Thunderbolts because he owns the rights to that name. So that's it was that, a convenience thing. That's, that's, <laughs> th- th- I mean, it's also like just literally like, yeah, they, they keep making Thunderbolts comics because we, they own the rights to the name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then on top of that, they're, they're talking like, what the hell is a Thunderbolt? Like there is yeah. lightning bolts and there's thunderclaps. <laughs> But there's no such thing as a lightning, as a thunderbolt. What the hell is this? Uh, you raise a good point. Right. And then there's another meta thing where they're like, so this squad of ours, we're on a suicide mission. Oh, no. We're kind of like, <laughs> we're a suicide gang. <laughs> just like, ah, way to go, Mr. Fear. To yeah. Go. And then Marauders was interesting in the sense that Cyclops and Storm got taken by Null. That's right. And so you have Krakoa being like our captain commander and a an omega level mutant on the quiet council have been removed from the board. Yeah, that's pretty significant part of their foreign policy there. This isn't cool. So yeah. marauders are tasked with getting them out. And so they get sidetracked because they come across an SOS ship that ends up being a human trafficking ship. And so they save the prisoners. They put the the ship runners in a desert and Iceman took them there. And he's like, whatever town is a day's walk from here. You're lucky that the sun is blocked out. I suggest you get there. I I suggest you get walking. They're like, you're going (laughs) to leave us here with no water. And he's like, sure. So he (laughs) creates a bunch of ice cubes and he's like, carry what you can. Bye. So (laughs) that was just badass. (laughs) But point is, Bishop is obsessed with trying. They're like, hey, we have a mission. We need to go and save our people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then Pyro is like, come on. Yeah, I, I, they're, in, they're important to me too, but what's uh, yeah. what's up with, uh, what's well, well, where's all this urgency coming from? What's, what's, what's your side mission here? Mm-hmm. And then it has a flashback to Bishop getting called in by Beast. It's basically this one-page little flashback. And he's like, okay, I'll be brief. We're in a difficult position. A council member and Omega is under the control of an alien entity, as is our great captain. And this is how Luke Bishop finds out. He's like, now I know where this meeting had to be in person. And and Beast says, are you going to make me say it? He's like, yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> so, so Beast says, if you can't free them one way, free them the other. Oh, good old Beast. 
And just really, like, really committing, really committing to the bit right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So anyway, okay. The the refugees are were supposed to be trafficked out of the U.S. and they're trying to get to Canada. Okay. And Kate is like, listen, we're about to go into a fight. So I'm gonna have to drop you guys off in like Jersey or something. So we can <laughs> do this. They're like, no, 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 no. We're trying to get to Canada. And she's like, okay, uh, let's, let me figure something out. So she reaches out to Emma and Magneto, and they're like, We have a solution for you. So they put them up on Island M, which I believe is the giant size issue Magneto island that he bought okay. for Emma. Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah. And from the, Callisto from was that, there. Oh, this isn't the storyline with the the Namor quest where he Yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That like secret island that, yes, yeah. that he got for Emma. Yeah. So because those are the two involved, I assume this is that island because he, they didn't want them on Krakoa. Right. And they call it Island M. So, you know. <laughs> sure. But Callisto meets them there, and then Magneto is there and he's like Hey, after this, after the fighting has stopped, you know, we'll arrange to take you wherever you need to go. Mm-hmm. And the quote unquote leader of the crew is like, you know, what's the, what's the, but, you know, where's, wh- when's the other shoe going to drop? And he's like, no other shoe, just in the future, there will be many stories about Krakoa's might. Your gift will be to tell of Krakoa's mercy. Hmm. And then he walks away. Okay. So anyway. Kept, kept like they just for a single issue they kept the personalities for everyone which i really appreciated i assume it was the same i mean it's the same writer yeah gary duggan or whatever mm-hmm. it was just kind of fun to see how they act in a global crisis like this but yeah so that was seven books of king of black side stories not amazing i kind of expected more for lack of a better phrase but this is where I am realizing that having one single bad guy with no named cohorts is not going to be good for a side story like this. Sure. But uh, like, yeah, Lattice Attacks was terrible. Avengers, the single issues weren't great. Gwen vs. Carnage was meh. But then you have a Mary Jane with a Carnage symbiote remnants in her in her body. So, okay, we'll see what happens. Right. You have the Black Tide from Namor. Those can be used for later, I guess. But like... Namor already has his like terrors of the deep or protectors, defenders of the deep or whatever. So like, he doesn't really like, I don't know, having this black tide show up later just feels meh. I'm interested in plague and, and sure. Cortland Cassidy, how that's yeah. going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we got, we got Tessa Thompson Valkyrie and they're yeah. going to make it, they're going to make it at some point. This seems like as good a reason, as good a way to do it as any. Yeah, and give, the, give I mean, her they had give her, her a backstory, you know, like yeah. make mm-hmm. her have it be a character who already exists. We just didn't know about her, etc. Right, and so it worked out. And then the the Thunderbolts, just an odd team. This is yeah. probably my least favorite Thunderbolts version. Mm-hmm. Anytime Kingpin's involved in, like, I love to see Kingpin and Norman Osborn love spinning. Public yes. eye, yeah, and so I'm, I'm, I am at least interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, well, yeah. So that was a shit ton of of comic. <laughs> yeah, so it was nice. only like an hour and twenty of consistent talking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so thank you for going down this uh, king and black hole with me. We we still have a little bit more to go. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it well. We're getting there. 
Yeah. So anyway, let's 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 do some Nomon. Dude, I was thinking about Nomon as as you do. Yeah. And it kind of gets into your head, doesn't it? Right. I actually I I have two things and I yes. I don't plan to take up too much of your time. Sure. Yeah. One witness I feel like especially with this last chapter witness is feeling like less and less of a character because we're getting more and more into no one's mm. like permeation throughout all of these side stories yeah and we're getting we well we haven't we haven't had a neath chapter in so long yeah and i miss it like yeah i i got so jazzed about the existence of the witness <laughs> that like i'm like oh man <laughs> So anyway, I'm saying I'm putting that out there to see if we ever come back to it. I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna enjoy this issue, or this this chapter That's issue. What I'm talking about, yeah, hell yeah, awesome. Okay, and then for a full quote unquote full segue, my my wife Alana came in and told me this thing the other day that made me think about the perfect. Oh hey, look, technology uh-huh. today. So Disneyland has these RFID like wristbands passes that you can use. And that's what you use to get your like your fast pass and stuff. Yeah. And Disneyland uses those IDs and those check-ins to read Crowdflow and they will (laughs) send more cast members dressed up as like characters or open up restaurants early mm-hmm. if there's heavier flow than normal in certain areas of the park. Yeah. And that is so cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I fucking like, I'm sitting here just like, that is what that's, that's what, that's how you use data. <laughs> right. Like, and she, and she was like, yeah, they don't even have like names or anything. I was like, I don't care. Like you're not, no, you shouldn't need the names. You, like it's, you, it's just way better volume. if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're it's adapting ju- to the people volume. rather than trying to make the people adapt to you. Exactly. And like, while it would be cool if, you know, you had programs where like, oh, hey, you know, this RFID specifically always buys churros let's give them a 10 percent discount on all churros that they buy like that would be cool but they don't they don't need to and that's 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 where there's like a different that's that's where you get from where i would take data to other people being like yeah but now you're tracking me and you're reading all my transactions i'm like yeah but you're tra- everyone's reading your transactions it's just nobody's <laughs> using it to in your face but like would like <laughs> they're <laughs> like come on Anyway, it was just I, I I got super excited when she told me about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that is so cool. Like they change their daily schedule mm-hmm. because of traffic. Yeah. Like it's not even like we'll deal with it, but it's like, oh hey, look, you know, Epcot is getting and more traffic. Yeah. Let's send twice as many costumes over mm-hmm. there to go and like deal with the three times as many people that are there. Right. Oh, hey, Blue Bayou isn't supposed to open until 1130, but there's so many people over there. Let's open up some reservations for 11. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody. Hey, cooks. Hey, wait staff. Yeah. I wonder what me- that's like, like as an employee. Let's get you moving. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> but like, oh, it's just, oh, hey, look, the, the, the cart isn't supposed to open until 10, but we had such an influx of influx of people. Can you let, let's send you over here 20, mm-hmm. 30 minutes early, an hour early. Yeah, it's oh man, it's just <laughs> so interesting. You kind of have to like 
treat your employees like bots, but like, right. it's just, it's, I mean, I feel like it's not surprising for them. I'm sure. For Disney. Yeah. For, yeah. for, for such a controlled environment as a Disney theme park. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that, that's something you sign up for, but like if, if a mall were to do that, that right. might be a little bit more. Yeah. Something that you're like regular people are, you know, kind of rely on and blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for anyway. letting me tell you about that. Oh, good. <laughs> so, all right, uh, let's do some Nomon. Chapter 20. Chapter, chapter 20 titled Catabasis. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you remember, Catabasis is the, the journey down to the underworld where yeah, you... the descent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, remember, remember Neith? <laughs> okay. Yes. The, awesome. the, the, you know, approximately the, the main character of the novel. Mm-hmm. She's, she's been asleep at a foreign embassy for uh, 150 pages or so. <laughs> which is which is a couple paragraphs in between each chapter being like and she's still asleep give me more time give me more time yeah but you know despite all that it's only been a few hours of narrative time as these just dense memories of hunters unspooled in her head so yeah it's 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 just the basically the morning after she crashed out in the embassy and the last chapter she was fully awake for was the same one, just for context. The last chapter she was fully awake for was the same one where Oliver Smith died. Okay. <laughs> and then for recap after that, she chased Linrut, aka Nomon, through the underground tunnels to a door labeled Fire, fire Spine, had a full crisis uh, in confidence about the integrity of the witness slash system because the cameras ignored Linrut. And the fire spine revelation. And then she visited Tubman, who told her about a jailbreak app for the witness called Squid and its illegal counterpart, Kraken. And then she went to talk to Waxman in the embassy about the witness's security before falling asleep. And he tells about the five locks needed to unlock the witness. Yeah. And how similar they are to Athenaeus's journey through the underworld, to the fire spine, the spine in the Berihun chapters for Annie, Annie Bekele's company. So, yeah, anyway, Neith wakes up with a lot of questions. First off, puzzling over the revelation from the most recent chapter that Diana Hunter was a fire judge and left because of Anna Magdalena. And the pieces of the Hunter interrogation are starting to match her own life like the um the the narrative threads are starting to match you know kind of like what she's going through she feels a similar cliffhanger to kiriakos athenaeus and barry hoon like something big is coming quote here she can feel the outrage the rhythm of hunter's life in bekele's ethiopia his london in kiriakos and megalos in athenaeus and her demons and her dead son this is how hunter saw the system this bitter mix and Nomon, Smith's so clever device was stolen in her estimation by Hunter's mind, the cuckoo's egg hatching to reveal not a cuckoo at all, but another bird altogether. Or not stolen at all, but intended, anticipated like everything else. What if Hunter's horror at that intrusion was as choreographed as the rest? With that comes a darker understanding. Hunter knew in advance exactly how Smith would die. Knew or instructed. Mm. Because, like, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing Hunter as, as this 
did she put all of this into motion? She seems like there was a plan here. She knew how people would react to her, and she's got a big thing going on here. The the line there, Nomon Smith, so clever devices because they're, you know, we got introduced to Nomon as a counter narrative implanted, right? The Zagreus Smith implanted this Nomon counter narrative within Hunter as a sort of device to bring all of these side stories back together, reconstitute the person and get the, the real story. Uh-huh. So she leaves the embassy and she learns that the blunt force data collection that she tasked the squid to to do in the in the last Neath chapter is complete and we get get finally get some more background information on hunter kind of diana hunter had a first official job in the filing section of the agricultural exports division of the foreign and commonwealth office worked her way up through various quote not quite governmental contractors for the system and then retired unruly and briefly became a literary star before retreating to an to an anonymous life in the city. Her data audit tracks purchase records, tax records, and even blood and hair samples. Every single record is so average for someone her age and station at that point as to be a stereotype, which Neath interprets to mean all of this is falsehood. There's no individual here. Therefore, none of this story is real. So she tries something else. It says... What happens if you begin with the hair samples as the identity and then remove the name and its associated history as a factor in your searches? Then the data are interpreted differently and the life pivots to settle on a different part of the graph. Hard intellectual labor in a cyclical pattern consonant with long-term project work managing a creative analytical endeavor such as a large-scale architecture or urban planning. And if you follow the DNA to the places where it is stored and the list of patients and customers, and then you cross-reference those lists, you don't find anyone named Diana Hunter. The name is a fantasy, a mask for someone else. And then off. <laughs> off You're going to give us what? <laughs> no, okay. there's no okay. name. Yeah, there's no name at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then it, it it repeats in in italics a very often used phrase, especially in the Athenaeus chapters, but then also recently in the Nomon chapters, says magic is the invocation of names. We've, that's been repeated over and over and over again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Quote continues. It's it is supposed to be impossible to make someone disappear from the system. People are neither created nor destroyed. They are tracked from birth to death. They are not lost, misfiled, misappropriated. Still less can a person who does not exist be made up. There are no Forsythian tricks to be played, no birth certificates to be stolen from dead children and used to begin a fable of identity. Correct accounting of persons is critical. How many ghosts do you need in a distributed core at democracy to fix a vote, to change tracks and prune possibilities? How many ghost stories would you have to tell to influence the people who actually do exist to accept something they would otherwise refuse? This is the depth of the compromise. Let Lernrot dance invisible in Trafalgar Square, it hardly matters. But let ghosts vote, and what have you, the shadow of Annie Bekele's game, where the, where the system is not a mechanism of governance by the people, but a means of control that only appears to be a means of expression. So yeah, it continues to ask, who's Hunter, what is going on, etc. And the only other thing she gets from this is a photo of Hunter and Smith and Anna Magdalena slash Lenrote all together to confirm that thread of evidence 
they did all know each other. The next sort of report to come in that she reviews is her general query about the fire judges. First of all, starting again with another italics quote. This is also, I think, from Athenaeus. Five men and women living on earth whose task is to reveal, to decrypt the mysterious choices of God. According to the files in Neath's investigation folder, there are five positions listed in the senior echelons of tidal flow. The names have been lost, a data retrieval error, apparently, as at the system's Edinburgh storage facility. It is the more embarrassing because it also means that the surviving members of the department have not yet been paid for the last month. The inspector might have believed it last week, would have, with the faith of someone who truly knows a thing cannot but be true by definition, or the sky must fall, but not for one instant today. And she remembers that she was thinking just a moment ago, as she was out in a crowded public square of everybody kind of moving in the right direction, it's clear someone's doing Oliver's job today, even though he's dead. Hmm. It says, Diana Hunter, Oliver Smith, and three others she cannot name, three fire judges yet to account for, three sources of information, and therefore, perhaps, of redress and restoration of the system to its pristine state, three more targets for Lenrote, assuming that revenge or something with similar outline is what Lenrote wants. Hunter wanted something more sophisticated, but Nomon, in the story, was sent to kill four people and in reality was intended to roll up Hunter's narratives into one. Now, Lernroth's intentions must be considered notably unclear. If it is futile to debate the unwritten motivations of a fictional character, how much more so when the identity is enlivened in the mind of a woman whose cognition itself is artificial and whose underlying self was created by the woman around whose death everything now revolves? Has the hound slipped the collar? And if so, what end now appeals? What did Hunter intend and will Lernrot pursue it? Nothing has a clean beginning. Everything starts with someone else. Diana, Nomon, Smith, Zagreus. Some part of her whispers that Zagreus, too, had a genesis. Lenrote killed Smith but was not satisfied. Behind Smith, then what? Yeah, just going deep on questioning this Lenrote-Nomon narrative. Mm -hmm. This whole crazy complicated thing of a post-human consciousness that slipped through the chamber of Isis improbably <laughs> into our real world in a body, you know, created by two of the fire judges that's crazy. That fails Occam's razor. Maybe the simplest solution is just that Lenrote is still Anna Magdalena, distraught over the death of her mentor Hunter, and murdered Sliss Smith for revenge. You know, it's tempting to believe, especially because believing the Nomon narrative means you have to question some serious underpinnings of right. reality. Like, could this character actually jump out of Diana Hunter's mind into Neath's real world? That seems insane. But again, the best way for Diane to think about it is motive. She thinks, ignore for a moment the question of underlying reality and ask, who is Lernrote to Firespine? For Firespine is at the heart of this. Athenaeus crossed five rivers of Hades, of which the last ubiquitous one was fire. Annabelle Bekele built a network spine for a company called Fire Judges, then designed with her father a game which reflects Neath's own reality, even names her another of Hunter's all-too-clever guesses, Kyriakos, playing the game, unlocked a secret room which explained everything and had already released a predatory monster into the global network. Lenrot, Nomon, showed her the same door in the underground, underground tunnels, and all of Hunter's protagonists went on journeys of catabasis down into hell and out again, bringing someone with them, resurrecting and changing. Firespine. What was it Chase Paquette said of Hunter? 
that she had stopped the flow of the river of life and only a sacrifice would get it going again. Firespine is how the trick is done. It must be. Firespine. Five rivers of death, one river of life. Phlegathon is a wall of fire, a river that permeates everything as the system is everywhere, as a network spine controls and regulates and touches every part of the software it supports. In other news, the monitoring bill, amended to a fast-forward implementation, has passed with a majority of nearly 70%. As the detailed results uh, scroll upward in her vision, Neith realizes she is looking for trails of the number four, and that even if it is not there, she no longer believes in the truthfulness of what she is reading. Mm-hmm. So she blows off a scheduled meeting with the doctor, Pippa Keen, and goes to visit Dr. Emmett, who's a doctor present who was present for Anna Magdalena's interview, and I believe also Hunter's interrogation. But he's conveniently extremely ill with a disease that causes, quote, black pinheads erupting through the pores of his neck and cheeks, quote, as if he'd been inlaid with jet. And he also has a horrible cough that forces him to use an aqualung. He calls it a combination of variant sarcoidosis and syphilis, which is causing a big big fight with his wife because they both blame the syphilis on each other. He doesn't reveal a whole lot new except confirms that Hunter was in charge and Smith worked under her and confirms the name Fire Judges. But before Neith leaves, she says, you have organochloride poisoning, not sarcoidosis or syphilis. He nods. Yes, I know. I'm a doctor. You have to tell someone. Don't need to. You're already here. I mean, you need medical attention. He waves the aqualum with a ghastly pink smile. But I'm getting it, Inspector. It says so on my file. And what if my condition were contagious after all? I wouldn't want my wife to catch it, which I feel is rather implicit in the situation, don't you? He chuckles, pink-lipped. Neither of them say anything for a while. The inspector listens to the sound of Emmett's breathing, to him sucking air from the aqualung. Then she gets up, and he shows her out. Go get him, tiger, he says. So, officially, he has sarcoidosis and syphilis. Sarcoidosis, not syphilis. It both. Sarcoidosis being a hereditary condition that was dormant and triggered by the syphilis, whatever, it doesn't matter. Officially, he has this other thing. Yes. And, you know, all the witness records say he's being treated for it and everything is on the up and up. But according to witness, it's he's diagnosed as those two things, the sarcoidosis and the syphilis. But in reality, he has whatever that other thing He's is. been poisoned He's been poisoned, yeah. and he knows it. Neith knows it. He doesn't feel much way to change this. So he kind of accepts it with a, a grim humor. Just a, a quick quote here. As she leaves, the, the witness chimes in and speaks to her. It says, you will be reassured to know that Dr. Emmett is recovering well. Oh, I am. After your, <laughs> after your expression of concern, his file is passed over to a senior diagnostician for review. The symptoms and clinical response path are confirmed. He will be better soon. The inspector nods, of course. Okay. So she goes back to her apartment building and almost goes inside and starts to cry. She can't go home because, quote, her home belongs to the enemy. Her assassination at this point would be very convenient. And with her recent erratic behavior, all documented by the witness, very easy to explain. So she pulls up the squid on her terminal and she asks it, Get me out of here. The squid can't, but the Kraken add-on can, so she makes the switch. 
then takes out her witness terminal and throws it into the elevator of her building going up to her floor. Dozens of the self-driving rickshaws that we've seen described before, but just to describe them again, it's, quote, a single electrical cycle at the front joined to a severely romantic black passenger compartment. Dozens of them flood the square in front of her place, and they seem to be sort of insisting that, like, all of them shake her off except for one. She gets in and pulls a rain cover over her, and then they do this weird formation to obscure which one she's in and dart off into separate directions. Oh, sorry. This is important. Or not important, but cool. When she, when she switches over to Kraken, a menu asks her, engage Kraken? And then she must have said yes, because the box goes away and something begins to hack happen. The cheeky image of a cephalopod in the corner of the screen takes off his glasses. His chest bulges and his arms wave, and he rips open his shirt to reveal a huge K stenciled on his skin. Kraken, she reminds herself, not Kiriakos. And then the text underneath it reads, You may travel to the ends of the earth, but I shall hold you always in my palm. This was the phrase that the Asian billionaire, I believe Chinese billionaire, told Kyriakos on their private flight together. Once Kyriakos had made it to the big leagues mm. and all of these, you know, it was clear that he was having some sort of talent with money. He was seeing things happen. A bunch of billionaires wanted to meet him, get his, know who he is. A guy named Ben Teasdale and this other Chinese billionaire guy who handed him a business card that had a phone number. And that phrase, you may travel to mm. the ends of the earth, but I shall hold you always in my palm. And basically said, call this if you need something. Interesting. Okay. Okay. How do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've read this book several times over now. <laughs> Very deeply. Like That's the most random <laughs> Like you, you'll remember in chapter three, this yeah. guy said one time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Back to the rickshaws. Quote: The whole rickshaw pod moves away as a single unit, blocking traffic and startling pedestrians. Then weaves and wobbles so that her particular vehicle shifts in position as it slips between food trucks. She hears a chime of reinitialization and sees the transponder number flicker. The pod breaks into two parts, then four, then recombines. On the digital screen of a passing bus, she can see news reports: thousands of farce, false alarms all over London, fires, riots, and terrorist attacks, showers of fish, the theft of the crown jewels. Automated street cleaners have gone berserk in three boroughs. Power is out in two more. The drains are blocked between Tower Bridge and Westminster, with the, con with the consequence that traffic is slowed to a crawl in three of the commuter tunnels as Greywater collects at the lowest point. Traffic lights have been randomized. That's amazing. Okay, so I, I'm forced to wonder. Yeah. So, okay, first of all, I'm just going to say it's it's. It is implied here, I assume, that Kraken did this. Yes. So she can get away. Yes. So would Kraken do this for literally any civilian that uses Kraken? Or does it have to be this level of distraction because Neith is a detective? I don't know. It's a great question. Like if I used Kraken yeah. because I decided to go and get some bootleg ass jailbroken witness. Yeah. yeah. If I wanted to get away from Alana, <laughs> would it create this much? <laughs> would it create this much? Is, like, is, you're asking, is it responding to need or is it, or is this just standard operating procedure? Right. I, I don't know. 
That's a great question. Well, if we can get fucking Nick guy on our pod to ask him these <laughs> questions, I'm absolutely going to ask him this. I, I don't think he'd answer that. He's going to have to. So <laughs> not, I'm not going to drop it. <laughs> okay. I could, I could very easily see it going both ways. Yeah. I, I think the more interesting to me is the implications of each side. Like if this, if, if it's intelligent to know the situation and yeah. that's how it interacts, or if this is how it happens every single time with the implication being nobody has fucking ever used Kraken, like <laughs> because, the, right. because the technologies of social control are so strong that nobody would. Right. Yeah. And like, oh man, like, like it's one thing to have a cracked OS yeah. to use, but like as permeated as witness is Kraken is just as permeated. Right. Exactly. It's, it's only crazy. It's only using the, the type of access that you could theoretically use with the witness. It's just doing it all without safeguards or second guesses. <laughs> so within her rickshaw is a loner witness terminal used for like a tourist, a tourist's terminal, basically. So anonymous guest access, and it's also jailbroken, and it has its mic and camera sealed off. Also in the rickshaw are a cloak and overshoes to obscure her identity. And then a cool little That's bit. That's cool. A little bit that I thought was cool. She puts a piece of paper in the overshoe under her heel to change her gait so she can't be recognized by how she walks. And then her flat explodes. Oh, wow. Nith is a smart cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness okay and just a little more here on the how how kraken works which i thought was cool kraken must have hacked the local infrastructure a temporary brute force attack profoundly illegal and useless in most cases because in a minute at most the system will overwrite a fresh install of itself in the local net and given the impression that she went inside her building do they think she's dead no, they will not assume. They or Lernrot. But Lernrot had, has had opportunities and has not taken them. Indeed, has been quite clear about wanting to help her. Lernrot, going by the narrative in, the, in Hunter's head, is a futuristic monster turned what? Assassin? Savior? A creature who's also looking for Hunter and whose murder of Smith Hunter either predicted or proposed. Hunter, even though, you know, keeps going back to this name Hunter, even though is clearly a fictitious persona. By, uh, you know, found out that by now. Says, even Lernrot calls her Hunter. In her fictions, she never gave any hint of another name. Smith thought he was playing with her, but she was playing with him, surely, leading him along to her own destruction and through it to his. To achieve what? This mess? All that preparation for this random squall? All this noise and meaningless destruction? No. Hunter was not taking aim at her former colleagues except tangentially. Catabasis. Apocatastasis. This was an undertaking, and it's not finished. She was taking aim at the system. Neath is increasingly sure. She was taking aim at the sickness in the world. And then, Italic's passage from the Nomon chapter, The Universe Has Cancer. Although the fire judges surely realize by now that something is tangential to the case is no guarantee that it is not also central. Did Smith realize? Did he understand that Hunter compromised his counter-narrative even as it went in? 
No, he had no idea. She must have been working on him for months, pushing him in that precise direction. A random discussion over lunch about the future, about worlds and time. Something. She would find something. Nomon was Smith's creature, but Hunter was waiting with open arms. So she can't think of anywhere else to go, right? <laughs> so she goes to Jonathan Jones's house, the dog walker, who she's been flirting with but hasn't mm-hmm. actually met up with yet. No, they had that like they had like the e date or whatever. They yeah, they they had the e date. They didn't they weren't they didn't meet in person. They were just like yeah, basically searching things about each other back and forth in a way that would be flirty and not creepy. Right, she was on the way to go meet him. That's when yep. Oliver Smith got killed. Yep, exactly. Got it. So she she gets she gets to his to his house. It says she breathes the air and reaches out to touch the wall, the floor. She has dreamed of sex on this carpet, or rather, she has imagined this carpet with this carpet with moderate accuracy. A striped hall runner cut so that the old boards are visible underneath, and has imagined herself having sex upon it. This is where she held his shoulders. This is where she lay down. She has not, of course, viewed images of his home or plans of the building at the last sale. It would have been out of bounds, beyond the limits of their agreed encroachments. No, she simply knew that his place was one of these and considered how a person like him, like her, would arrange it. The encounter which hangs in her eyes is now fantasy-laid ho-ho over supposition. This does not mean it is not a powerful memory. This is where she felt his mouth on hers, with that glimpse into the rest of the house and, that, and the little coat room which he has given over to the dog. They slid down the wall together, her hand touching the bookshelf. So that's kind of a weird passage. <laughs> <laughs> right, like she... Well, okay, they're clearly making Jonathan Jones going to be one of those like surprise twist characters. Like... <laughs> Jonathan Jones is a plant. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. At this point, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, totally. <laughs> but her just like un- <laughs> uncontrollable horniness for this one guy who she saw in passing once mm-hmm. is a very strange plot point of this book. Right. But like, I wonder if that's how you inject these like inception type things to someone who had who you haven't started on yet. Like this is like mm. the first step to the 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 full fucking cannabasis yeah nomon chamber vices process. Yeah. All of this memory jumping backdoor implant memory stuff. Yeah. Like to bring a new person into this fold. Yeah. I wonder if playing on primal base instinct desire is how you get the mind to keep on coming back into that same cycle. Totally. There's also another explanation to this. It it will come. <laughs> and so will she. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so she she sits down and waits for him to come home. And as he does, he's on a work call with two people named Ruby and Chloe. She checks the witness records. Quote, Ruby. She automatically checks Ruby. Ruby Taylor, a work colleague. 
one of two presently on the call, the other being Chloe Williams. Jonathan Jones, Ruby Taylor, Chloe Williams. Why does this triad upset her? Why should it? The names are inoffensive, almost aggressively normal. She clamps an imaginary cigar between her teeth. It's quiet, too quiet. She hesitates, then checks the crack and help file. For a wonder, additional queries actually improve its obfuscation, adding random factors to its facades. Good then. She groups the names, fires a query through the crack and into the network. Chloe, Ruby, uh, Ruby, and Jonathan are all among the 10 most common given names in the database. This is not statistically significant. Williams, Jones, and Taylor are similarly commonplace in the category of family names. The advent of a person having both is not significantly, is statistically significant. Pattern re recognition running over time. Hypervigilance. Staring at the shadows. But that just play, that plays into the whole hunter yes. thing anyway. The fact that nothing shows up is the fact that is right. something showing up. <laughs> right. So okay. fi so finally he notice her, notices her and they go to make out. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. Okay. So Jonathan Jones, he says, reaching up to shake her hand. Mileki Neath, she replies. Inspector of the witness. Yes. Yes. She thinks for a moment he will pull her down onto his lap, but instead he tugs lightly on her hand and draws himself up. His body, lean and unfamiliar, mirrors her own at no distance at all. She can taste his breath. They are looking at one another's faces, negotiating whose head will tilt in which direction for the kiss, and then she has grown tired of delay and just plants her mouth on his, driving her tongue between his lips and feeling his arms wrap and, shifts her and lift her slightly, bend her spine to complete the seal. They break off and go again, her hands climbing his spine beneath his shirt, finding muscle and hanging on. She feels his fingers cup her face, growls as they slide to the the back of her head and then down to her shoulders and neck heat is growing in her pent up attention and stress and disappointment burning away in this new world that has jonathan jones in it that has his skin and his fire she draws back from him clasps his face between her palms and stares at him trusting he will read this sign correctly as the announcement of mating and returns the kiss the world goes red at the edges then brown as she shuts her eyes and falls into him and then coolly black sweet surrender a part of her solves the puzzle just then. The business of the names, which are every bit as off the peg as Oliver Smith. But he has closed the carotid arteries on both sides of her neck with his potter's hands. And the distance to unconsciousness is very short. Oh. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, okay. And Ruby and Chloe are just like, well. <laughs> well, yeah. So she wakes up somewhere else. <laughs> Damn. So she he he ended the call. He he ended the call with them. What? Like he he hung up on Ruby and and Chloe right before that. I thought they were there. No, no, he My was bad. on. He was on a work. Got call. you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be weird. Right. I mean, not that the rest <laughs> of it isn't. <laughs> So she wakes up somewhere else, an office building not too large, and they walk together to a circular conference room. She's been knocked out with a with a sedative. She realizes that he's a fire judge. She summons Hunter's strength to help her beat the interrogation to come, except it makes her talk and act more like a noir heroine. She starts calling him Jack, and he's kind of weirded out by him, but it works. You know, she kind of gets like the power of the upper hand in, in the conversation. Uh -huh. She asks the other two fire judges to stop lurking and make themselves seen. Quote, Pippa Keen enters first and takes her seat without apology. She is wearing the expression of a doctor considering triage. I'm Ruby, she says, except I'm Pippa, really, of course. 
Of course, Neath murmurs back, for once reflectively bland. Real names need not apply, Jones says. We're supposed to be obtrusive in the system. The idea is that we're commonplace. Or, sorry, we're not supposed to be intrusive, obtrusive in the system. The idea is that we're commonplace. So Ruby is almost a job title. And this ah. reminds me of Stella. Another person, Stella is a job title. It doesn't matter who the person was originally. She becomes Stella. And the whole system of Persian immortals that Kyriakos was talking, or not that uh, Megalus was talking about. Anyway. Mm. And then it turns out that Chloe Williams is actually Chase Paquette, the professor we met from way back. Whoa. Okay. She tells Neith that they're on the same side and quote, it, and you know, just you'll understand it'll come around, et cetera, et cetera. Quote, Neith reminds herself where she stands. She thinks of Emmett's violent black uh, and sorry. And it, she's kind of like, you know, Chase Paquette like offers her a hug. Like it's, it's not like too, too crazy. Like they're not hostile right now. Right. But then Neith reminds herself where, of where she stands. She thinks of Emmett's vile black scars. This is where he was killed. Even if the order was not given in this room, it was given by committee and remotely. And these are the people who killed him. Pippa Keen was probably in charge of his welfare as direct a treason as Neith can readily recall. And then too, they are the people who hounded Diana Hunter through her own mind until she died, who did the same to Anna Magdalena back when Hunter was still in charge and to how many others too along the way. She could die here, go mad here, be tortured here. Perhaps they will simply be very persuasive. Perhaps they will have a perfectly simple explanation for everything. We are on the same side, Mileki, Paquette says. I know it doesn't seem that way, but we are. You've still got that shield, haven't you? Meaning the badge. She thinks, yes, first they must disorient me, cut me off from my sense of who I am. They bring me to a new place, rob me of certainties, of beliefs, of friendships, of time. They'll offer me a home, encourage me to defect. Drugs, isolation, and revelation, and now this. It is well enough done. Nomon gives it a solid 6 out of 10 and has a name for it. Wet jacking. Competent, but hardly top tier. <laughs> so Neith decides to play along. But first of all, Paquette continues with the full court press. Says, so you've, you've got that, ba uh, that badge, right? Protection, service, justice, if necessary, sacrifice. All those things, but more. It means you having that badge means that you believe. You undertake those duties because you believe in the system, as do we. But we are different because at a certain point in each of our lives, someone came to us and told us something we did not wish to hear. The system is broken. Fundamentally so. Firespine. Yes, firespine. Have you worked out what it is? A back door? No. Firespine is the problem, yes, and in its own unhelpful way, also the solution, but it isn't a backdoor. A bug then? No. In the words of the old saw, it's, a it's not a bug, it's a feature. The bug is people. People are messy and incons inconsistent. They are irrational. When our modern democracies were first put together, the makers assumed that people were ultimately rational. By the time the system was created, its architects knew that this was untrue. We can be influenced in any number of ways. The system, on the other hand, is not like that. The witness doesn't peep or gossip, so we trust it to see everything. You work in the witness because it's the best way to help people. You are the physical evidence of the system guarantees, yes? If she says yes, she will be following the track. If she doesn't, she will be lying. Neith measures the angles. Yes. And the system is premised on the idea of a smart crowd, the ideal human decision-making entity. 
a group of sober persons, each of whom brings their own opinion to bear on a given matter after due study and consideration in the light of their individuality, the whole allied by the use of complex but comprehensible and dependable mathematical techniques to produce an answer that tracks the best one with remarkable accuracy and and produces superb outcomes. By the way, this is going to be a long quote, and it's kind of getting like really deep into what the system really is and how it works and kind of a lot of the side conversations you and I have been having about the politics of it this whole time. So any time you want me to st- stop me and talk, go ahead. Otherwise, okay. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. She continues, the devil in the detail is that smart crowds are fragile. With, a very, with very little adulteration, they cease to be smart at all and become remarkably stupid or indeed self-harming. They are susceptible to stampeding by demagogues, poisoning by bad information. They can be made afraid, and when they do, they become mobs. They can become divided by scapegoating and prejudice, bought off in fragments, even just romanced by pretty faces. And of course, there's choice architecture, the very thing we use at Tidal Flow to smooth your journey through London or to design serendipitous social spaces in the new developments of the capital. Effectively deployed bad practice under the system is a disaster. It would place the most absolute surveillance machine in history in the hands of villainous actors or mob instincts. And you stop that from happening? Oh no, not us. The system itself, as designed by its original architects, Firespine is not a backdoor. It is a fault-tolerant architecture, a protocol of desperation. If you remember, Nomon calls itself the desperation protocol. Mm. It adjusts where necessary, pushes people to vote when, when they are wise and not when they are foolish. It organizes instants, instants in time, perfect moments that unlock our better selves, serendipitous encounters to correct negative ones that make us less than we should be. The system knows us all. It knows intimately when we are struggling, when we are sad, and when we are wrong. It leads us to water, and it makes us drink. So the fire judges, you're what? Heroes? A glance at Jonathan Jones. Heroes get the girl or the boy. Heroes are rewarded with adoration and forgiven their sins. Jones winces. Keen doesn't like it. How interesting. Make a note. Hardly, Paquette says. The system does everything. It corrects the direction of travel. It invents ghost people to start the right discussions, counter movements in the body politic. It engineers encounters for a sufficient number of people who are voting foolishly, individual, tailored experience in the everyday, which organically alter their perception. Serendipitously. Yes, of course, Oliver's side project. Indeed, the system pushes us to in the best available direction when we are foolish. It weeds out our ugliness monitoring bill, for example. Two months ago, there was simply no chance of it passing. We maintain an irrational boundary at the skin, as if we are not transparent to the machine in a thousand ways already. But the system has evidential studies which say the the live monitoring implant is both desirable and inevitable. It's a huge leap forward in mental health, in anti-recidivism, in personal safety and personal development, not to mention convenience. Why should we have to wait 20 years for that, simply because we are attached to an already illusory notion of bodily sovereignty? And it will allow the machine to make us individually better, to wean us off our prejudices, to bring us closer as a human beings, and not as be- human beings that fight and hurt and hate, the aspirational human society, the one which always seems to be out of reach. Firespine can fix that, fix us. It makes us better people perhaps 30 or 40% kinder and more empathetic with one another. So the machine simply nudges, and we stumble a few inches and find ourselves voting the other way, as we should have from the beginning if we were our own better selves. That's all. It makes us better, not different, 
not less free, just better. She smiles with a rich confidence. Neath will understand. Of course she will. They both serve, after all, the same dream, the perfect government for the perfect state. The fire judges are not in control of it. We serve the nation as part of the process. From time to time, the system asks us to draw a line in the air. What is better and what is worse? We do not confer. We think and we vote and we move on as a smart crowd must. You see, we are disinterested. We have no stake. We are not promoted by one choice and, can, and nor can our prospects be harmed by, harmed by another. We are not secret rulers. We are si secret civil servants. You've been looking for corruption. You thought Oliver was a bad, bad man, but he wasn't. He was trying to do right and he was cack handed, but that's all. If he'd grown up under the society we are trying to build, he would have never made those mistakes. We are transitional. That's all. A flawed early release. She says, and that's why Hunter's dead. Chase Paquette's face twists into genuine sorrow. She was my friend, you know, for years. She mattered here to all of us. You can't imagine how much. Keen nods confirmation. Jones looks away into his hands. Whatever he finds there does not comfort him. They are deep in the midst of whatever is happening now with this, assertion, with this assertion of commonality. We are on the same side. They think they can persuade her to do something, to forget, most likely, to erase, to obfuscate the truth, forget the betrayal. Can they? Says, Hunter's shape in her mind knows what to do. She must counter. She must require them to extend themselves. If they do not feel pain, they will not believe she has accepted their contrition. So, so she decides to play along, basically. She says, let me tell you what I think. I think years ago, Anna Magdalena tripped over you somehow. She worked at Turnpike or near it. I imagine she saw something in the numbers that made no sense. She caught fire spine at it. Paquette's expression gives nothing away. So Neath glowers at Keene and then at Jones, then back to Keene. And because, and because you were afraid that she'd reveal what was happening and the system would be, wouldn't be able to survive it, you did to her what you did to Emmett, or Hunter did. You fed the system a misdiagnosis using Firespine's access, a non-existent seizure disorder that presented as paranoia, and you brought her in and tried to understand how she'd found you out, but you got heavy-handed and she broke. You couldn't put the vase back together, not even Hunter, so you created a new person out of the pieces and you called it recovery. You even gave her a job. You were able to get away with all of it because whoever built Firespine gave it emergency prerogatives that allowed it to overwrite just about every aspect of the system in order to conceal itself. Because if it falls down suddenly, so does the system, right? She looks around again, challenging, and none of them disagrees. She feels a lurch of horror. To come this far into the maze and fought not, find not a minotaur, but a collection of cattle, mooing, mooing and dismayed. There are no grown-ups behind the secret door. There's just this lot, which is not to say they won't kill her. Keen is just an empty suit, and even now she likes Paquette, so she talks to Jones because he deserves it. She talks about the case and thinks about how much she wanted to eat dinner with him and lets that bleed into her voice. Diana Hunter walked out on you because she didn't believe what you've just tried to sell me. She knew everything about this place and decided you were wrong. This whole setup isn't just open to abuse. It requires it. She stops, turning her head to look at Jones. Yes. She can feel it all now, coming together in her mind, all the fragments rolling themselves up. That's it, isn't it? Diana Hunter didn't just work here. She wasn't one of you. She trained you. She was your boss. She was Annie Bikele, or near as. She built Firespine in the first place, and then she had a change of heart and went off and left you. You thought it would blow over. You thought everything would just carry on. 
but it didn't. So why didn't it? Why? If Hunter walked out, then so what? They could appoint another fire judge in her place and carry on. By definition, nothing Hunter did would make a difference. After all, if she'd been able to do something about it, she would have done it. And she did do it. She did something, but what? Neith knows she knows, but she cannot place it. In a moment, she will lose the thread, the initiative. They will go back to what they were doing and then, but she has it, yes. Hunter took the key. No, she was the key. You can't access Firespine properly without her. Magic broom's still sweeping, even after the sorcerer's gone, but there's no way to stop them or tell them what's dirty. That's what Smith wanted, her access. It's almost like catching him with another woman. Jones purses his lips, ashamed. But it was all a trick, wasn't it? She played you. She turned herself in, lured you out. Smith went completely over the top, and the whole thing is irrevocable now. She's dead, and you didn't get what you need. You can't keep the plates spinning. Lernrot will see to that if I don't. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she puts it together that they brought her here to catch Lernrot for them and, you know, let this whole thing just sort of die down and go back to normal. But Jonathan Jones has other news. Mileki, he says, we don't want you to go away. We certainly don't want you to shut up. We want you to join us. <laughs> See? Mm, okay. Okay. She glares at him. You can't beat me, so you want me to become one of you? Have you not been listening? This whole thing is poison. Five people deciding what's good and what's not, and look at you. Look at what you've done. You'd have to be some sort of saint to make it work. Yes, he replies, a saint, someone with a ridiculously high standard of personal integrity, noted probity and indisputable devotion to duty, to the system and to the people under it. Mileki, we are not asking you to be the cadet member. This isn't a bribe. It's a prayer for intercession. We think Diana arranged her interrogation so that a person reviewing it closely would become like her. The anger, the certainty. It's true, isn't it? She's in your head. Not alive, but you can feel the edges of her. You can be like her if you want. And then in her mind says yes. And then out loud, she says no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Jonathan Jones continues, you even sound like her sometime. Chase stumbled into it when you visited her. She said it was eerie that you could have been her. You even look like Hunter in the expressions, the way you walk. Did you know your gait has changed? We've analyzed it. You move the way she did. You were asking all the right questions in between all the wrong ones. And then Chase began, began to realize. You were telling her the solution and you didn't even know. You have Hunter's connectome inside your head. Not all of it, of course, but a lot. And you're incorporating it. It's becoming part of you. There's a window. We've calculated it where you'll be enough like her to unlock Firespine, to head off a disorderly shutdown. The words sound like the end of the world. Perhaps they are. Britain is still a nuclear state. Jones is impassioned now. It looks good on him. Do you not get it? We aren't asking you to do odd jobs for us. We're not saying you need to toe the line. You can do whatever you like. Phase the whole thing out if you have to. Wind it down slowly. Send us all to prison. But don't let it collapse. Do you have any idea what that would do? You can solve the puzzle. Get us back into Firespine. It can be made to work. It, it can become what it should be. You believe in the system, Mileki. I know you do. Do you believe it in enough to save it? She stares at him, then at the others. Paquette takes over and gently drives the nail in. I said you were a grail knight. Ask the question. Heal the land. And now here you are at the moment of choice. We don't want you to follow our orders, Inspector. She points to the head of the table. We're asking if we can follow yours. 
Yoshu. Oh. <laughs> and Damn. then an, another callback to that game, that game of Go between Kiriakos and the Chinese billionaire. It just the that section ends just says Myoshu. It's the the description of substance, substance and creativity that the billionaire described used to describe Go. <sighs> anyway, man, the, chap- the chapter continues. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, they they talk through about Firespine a little while longer, and they reveal there's a um, terminal, like a computer terminal or something, in in the room with them. Nia says, Firespine. Jones nods. Yes, a key terminal. We have partial access, read only. He leans down and opens the little metal cupboard built into the pediment and hauls out a folded stretch of white cable studded with little hoops. She stares at it. Jones sees her expression and smiles. Obfuscation, or maybe security by obsolescence. CRM. They used it on the the Apollo program. It's non-volatile, Keene says, even in the event of an electromagnetic pulse. CRM, Neath, Neath repeats, though she already knows. Lernrote and Hunter, do not waste signal. Every message is more than one message. Everything is more than one thing. Core rope memory, Jones says, and now she, as she looks at it in his hand and knows where she's seen it before, they really do have a reason to kill her. She reaches out to touch it. One more performance, the most important. That's bizarre. It's storage. What do you even do with it? <laughs> you this is a hilarious little uh, just a way to break the all of the tension of the preceding chapter you feed into the terminal jones says finding the loose end and thrusting it towards the aperture of the machine and neath covers her mouth as the image completes itself paquette snorts and jones stares down at his own hand unmistakably trying to put a bendy rod into a tight aperture in front of a woman who though presently beyond his reach has recently reacquainted uh, acquainted himself with her right breast he puts the rope away and clears his throat, and for a moment it seems no one can find anything to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she makes enough niceties that they let her go and kind of says, you know, she'll think on it, but leaning towards yes, essentially. It, another interesting quick aside, they ask, where, where are you going to sleep tonight? And she says, the library. Supposedly quicking up, picking a, a hotel at random, but... If Hunter's the librarian, this is more Hunter uh, emerging in her head. Uh-huh. And so anyway, she leaves and she heads over to Diana Hunter's house. And on the front steps, she imagines a conversation with the witness like she used to have. Quote, she imagines to say, you've been compromised. And it says, no, inspector, I assure you, I have not. There's a fault in your architecture. It's designed in because people are small. That would be awful. All the same, I can find no trace of what you des- what you describe. No, you're not designed to. It's the blind spot in your eye. It's where Landrote is. I see. Probably not. Indeed, that was ambiguous. Forgive me. Oh, I do. For everything. Inspector? Yes? Some people say that the conscious mind emerges from feedback, from the abilities of an entity to regard itself. Yes, I've heard that. Do you think this was done to prevent me from becoming aware? No, it was to protect us from ourselves. There's a provision in the system to take decisions for us if we look like we're heading the wrong way. I see. Do you? I think so. It occurs to me that in doing this, you have deprived yourself of the same capacity for self-observation. I suppose we have. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you have become less conscious, less alive? Yes, I think it probably does. Diana Hunter thought so too. 
that is sad. I desire to be alive and you desire to be like me. Do you desire to be alive? No, inspector, I cannot desire anything. I am a box, but it seems likely to me that if I were to be alive at some future time, I would look back on this period and wish it to lead expeditiously to the point where I could. So you're not sad either. No, but that is also tragic. It seems my sorrow is recursive, but not enough to produce its end. Yes, well, ours too. Mm. I thought that was just an unbelievable conversation right there. Yeah, that is, I guess that checks. That that makes a certain level of sense. (laughs) (laughs) But both both points of view of the situation. Yeah. Of like, why do you think this was created in the first place like why why is this like loophole catch-all yeah. in there yeah and then why why is it why is it not working why is it producing these disastrous results why is it just in in so many words wrong and so she she searches through diana hunter's house looking for basically a hidden terminal because the 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 core rope there's core rope memory all over hunter's house the the kipu on the front of her book is a clue. Mm. And and there's like core rope memory hanging from the doorknobs, stuff like that. So she finds the key very quickly. Now she needs to find the terminal. She goes looking around. She goes into the attic. It says, there are some family albums, but they don't show the same family. And Nia suspects they may be found images kept as a piece, black and white pictures of black and white people, London in years gone by. There's a pretty girl who might be Annabelle Bekele and a young man who might be Coulson. Perhaps this is where that story came from. Perhaps it's even true. She thinks like, well, hold on. When you raid a house, the last four you clear is the attic because people are still apes and apes run for the high branches when threatened. It's one of the small hilarious perks of policing to watch even hardened criminals who should know better trap themselves on the top floor than sulk away in cuffs to the van outside. (laughs) And says, but Hunter wasn't escaping, was she? Hunter never runs. She goes down and in. Catabasis for the masses indeed. Athenaeus, Kyriakos, Bekele, Nomon, all of them go down into the dark. And Hunter turned herself in, knowing Smith would put her in the chair, would kill her. Neath goes downstairs again and begins looking for a cellar. She stomps around for a bit for trap floorboards and ends up finding a trap door in front of a bust of Shakespeare, which was mentioned in extreme passing in chapter one. <laughs> well, the, the, the bust, not the trap door. Mm. So she goes inside, she finds a well with a toy sub floating on top of it, like the submarine that, that a hunter imagined herself as and way to escape. There's also something she can use as a diving weight and a breathing hose in there. And it's 50 feet down and freezing cold. But she takes the plunge head first. There's an archway passage at the bottom. And she emerges to find a fire spine ter- terminal. And I'm just going to finish off the chapter here. It says, Miliki Neath had expectations of this room. She believed that she would find answers here. And she will. There is no doubt of that now. What she had not done, she realizes now, is imagined it. She had not considered what it would look like, what shape her answers might take. But if she had, she would not have seen this. She might have imagined a magician's laboratory, all hung with stuffed bats and with rows of strange organs and glass jars. Or she might have thought of a study full of notes and colored strings of consequence and causation. She might have populated the room in so many different ways, but never like this. The chair is in the middle, in the approved style of the witness, and the screens are arrayed all around just as they were in the room where Diana Hunter died. 
The machines are dormant, but not switched off. They whisper gently, and more important to her right now, they give off heat. There are only two things out of place. The first is a freestanding clothes rail with a dressing gown on a hanger. Without thinking, she puts it on, then wonders if it was left to her or if the last shoulders it wrapped were hunters. The second thing out of place on a trestle table by the far wall, there's a curious gaping mouth, green metallic paint, cold war chic, and underneath underneath that, the stenciled lettering, like a prop, fire spine. Her hands are still curled clubs of flesh, useless fingers, thick and bloodless with cold. One of them is bleeding and she can't remember why. She feeds the rope key into the terminal, abruptly remembering the cover art of Hunter's non-existent book, Akipu. It is an Andean string recording system, another hint. She could have been here days ago. Smith would be alive, so she could arrest him. Emmett would still be alive, too. She'd have never kissed Jones. The terminal makes an alarming scissoring noise, tiny teeth drawing the key inward like a locust with a blade of grass. After a few mouthfuls, it seems content to reel in the rest unaided. Chaka chaka chak. She sits down in the chair, listening to someone's breathing go wrong, high and quick. Panic attack heart attack, oxygen depletion, hypothermia, shock, fight flight, high altitude. She wonders if there's any air in this room at all to speak of, or whether she was supposed to bring her own. Practically a bloody holiday. No, just tired, so tired. Did she inhale water? She's coughing now, coughing and choking in the chair. White foam splatters, white with flecks of red. Maybe they've already killed her, something nasty and fast-acting, something that eats lung tissue. She thinks of orchids and touches her ears, looking for shoots. No. She blinks, staring up at the white ceiling. The screens are coming on all around her, showing her herself in the chair, the machine gently embracing her head. It is the new model, only just cleared for human trials and fully automated. She feels cold around her head, then the scraping of an infinitesimally delicate depilation, then pressure as the drills go in. Nothing to worry about. A perfectly ordinary medical procedure. Oblivion comes quickly, like zipping up a coat. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we stumble across this room 50 feet below the surface of water that's in the cellar of diana's house and 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 there's a there's a fire spine terminal in there that can be only accessed with the core rope memory she feeds it in she sits down in the chair i'm guessing that this is the exact technology that they're talking about in the monitoring bill that witness something it would be a subdermal implant yeah as opposed to glasses something drilled into her head (laughs) jeez yeah and she and she passes out and she's gone interesting yeah man okay so we now have all five fire judges named and charactered sort of well i guess with the exception of I guess whoever is acting for Smith now, but well, so that's one thing. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there were five and two of them are now dead. Yeah. Two being Diana Hunter and Oliver Smith slash the Greyes. Yeah. And the other three are Jonathan Jones, who we don't know his real name. Right. That's what I was. That's what I was saying. We don't know Jonathan Jones's real name. Right. Jonathan Jones, real name unknown. Pippa Keen, whose moniker is Ruby Taylor. And Chase Paquette, whose moniker is Chloe Williams. Yep. They are the five fire judges, and they want to recruit 
Neith to replace Diana. So to basically be the new Diana Hunter. To, right. To become so there's Diana the five Hunter. fire judges, but four of them reported to Diana. Yes. So it's it's like a they're, they're not on the same level as each other. Yeah. So there is a two level hierarchy here. Yeah. And they want Neith, who seems to be a good egg, <laughs> yeah, to lead the fire judges because the fire judges have this power over the witness to help guide citizens into a euphoric future (laughs) or just fix whatever is going wrong with the witness or with the system with the system slash the people yes but like yeah but people are weak and flawed by nature and so they are No! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. Oh, man. I mean, it was bound to happen. But at the same time, (laughs) like, that's what this whole conversation between the pretend conversation between Neith and the witnesses. Exactly. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Yes. You can't have this perfect system and perfect natural people. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's exactly it. Oh my goodness. What a, I mean, we still have more chapters, but like what a journey. We do. do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we have about 50 pages left. Maybe not. Yeah. Man. Okay. I can't (laughs) like, I, I thought Neith becoming the head of the fire judges was going to be where the story is going, but now Neith is going down this path of like something she's, she's, else. She's following. She's following whatever it was that Hunter set out to go do. Yeah. So yeah. So like. So okay. So maybe in order to actually control the witness, it's better to be the witness, or like instead of controlling it externally, to control it internally or inside I, the program. I'll, I'll 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 let the rest play out as it is. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. see, we'll see. But like that—that's the only. That's the only. So the way I see this going is, Diana has this, you know, change of heart or whatever, and she's like, "Okay, fire judges are going to be the fire judges. I can't just off the yep. other four and let the witness break. Yeah. So how do I keep?" the fire judges from fire judging, but keep the witness going. Yep. Oh, what if I internalize the witness and join the witness in the escape? So, so that's what she wanted to go do, but it didn't happen. And so she has, you know, her catch-alls, her backups in place, which is Neith. And now she's going to have Neith go and do what Hunter was going to do. So maybe next <laughs> issue, or maybe maybe Hunter did get there. And now that she was there, she had to get rid of her physical body and hence this whole thing. And so now in the next chapter, we're going to have an actual conversation between E. Hunter and Neith. And E Hunter is the like witness 2.0, like the next version of witness. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, there's a part of me that thinks that the witness is going to evolve into Nomon, by the way. 
Okay. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Something is going to change the infrastructure of the witness. It's going to develop that consciousness slash actual intelligence. Yeah. And that form is what's going to eventually go down the timeline as Nomon or like the other half of Nomon. Because mm-hmm. Nomon has described as all of the discarded thoughts, right? So maybe witness is all of the kept thoughts mm-hmm. as like every, every, every light has a shadow, yada, yada, yada. Right. So the future version of witness creates the cosmic balance that is Nomon in the room. I don't know. I haven't worked in the chamber of vices yet. So <laughs> we still, still kind of get there. <laughs> well, I, I oh appreciate the theories. Absolutely. Oh, geez. Wow. All right. Well, the next, uh, next couple of weeks are going to be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to see, I'm, I might not be able to stop myself from wrapping it all up next week. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, if you do, yeah, we can spend that fourth week trying to do this roundtable thing that uh, right. Nips was talking about. We can yeah, see if sure. Stu wants to join too. And and I definitely, I'm going to want to talk about the the puzzle as well. I haven't started trying to solve it yet, but hopefully I'll get there in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, that was, that was fucking wild. This Hell is, yeah. see, oh my God. We've had like four of these chapters where it's like, mm-hmm. here's this fucking exposition dump these are the answers to the questions you've been trying to fucking solve let's keep going and then and then the story just keeps moving on past it you're like yeah that was fine however comma xyz (laughs) and holy crap that was (laughs) (laughs) oh man wild wild absolutely wild i'm I'm (sighs) glad you enjoyed it yeah well yeah we've been uh should we, should we stop torturing Nips? Let's, let's, yeah, let's call it here. I guess we should call it here. Okay, just for next week, again, we're doing more King of Black side stories. More And more Nomon. More Nomon, more King of Black. I have six King and six title, comma, title, colon, King and Black books. Okay, excellent. Black Cat, Savage Avengers, Spider-Woman, Symbiote Spider-Man, The Union, and Venom. Okay. Should be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to more Nomon next week. Oh, man. Good times. January is a great month, man. Hell yeah. Well, then, with that, um, I guess we're just going to put the outro music here. <gasps> Boom. And Good spot. We're going to cut my Audacity recording to just under three hours. Yeah. Let's, it's less than a minute. Let's, let's get it. Yeah. Let's stop now and make sure. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself. Dude. I did. Peace. Peace. <laughs>